0: Libators, it's your guy, Charles. Let me bend your ear about our sponsors at Plift. Sometimes we don't feel like traditional alcohol libations, or perhaps you're living an alcohol-free lifestyle but still imbibe in THC. With Plift's flavor-forward lineup of classic cocktail-inspired beverages, there's something for everyone. Classic vices made modern and perfectly dosed for any major or casual social occasion. Plift is available in multiple U.S. states and growing rapidly. Find out more at plift.com. That's P-L-I-F-T dot com. Hey, Quam, let's libate.
1: SummerSlam, we watched together. SummerSlam is on Saturday.
0: Yep. Yeah. Nice. We watched here in the classy confines of Club Caraway. It was Huzzah. a who's, member who's, event.
2: Who's carrying the uh, the WWE right now? Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns still. Roman Reigns, Reigns, okay. Then uh, SummerSlam the our right? first yeah. in person event. Still doing it. Okay. Because we
0: did our um, Knob Creek Beam Centauri event at Nova yeah. Bar in Hudson, which was a lot of fun. We actually have um, our beautiful bottle of uh, Knob Creek. It's the uh, Casanova single barrel pick. Uh, that was the release party for that bottle. It's 120 proof. It's really
1: delicious. Uh, Shout out to our sponsors Beam Suntory for Suntory. involving us in all this. It was really fun to to have them send us home with with a bottle of this. Uh, yes. When you can do when you can do a straight pour at 120 proof and like not have anybody sipping it bat an eye, that means that you've hit the taste like perfectly. That's not nice. just that.
0: But we engineered a cocktail in unison with Nova Bar, and the idea was to do just, like, a lemonade smash. So we are just like, let's make a lemonade cocktail, a little fresh mint in there. We'll use Knob Creek. But we thought we would just use Knob Creek. Like straight, regular Knob Creek. And when we arrived, uh, Brett Splinter, friend of the podcast and proprietor of Nova Bar, said, oh, yeah, we use the single barrel. And we were like, whoo! And then we drank it. We were like, holy shit, this is fucking fantastic.
1: Yeah, we made, a, we made a scratch lemonade. And then instead of like normally just mixing in all that sugar, uh, we made a simple syrup uh, with spearmint, with spearmint from their garden, actually. Nice. And then we used that as the sweetener in there. So what I love about spearmint is it doesn't have sort of that acrid side, it ha- it's just a very, very sweet forward mint and it's not too over the top with the mint so you don't get like the toothpaste orange juice effect um and that all came through and then it stood up to this beautiful 120 proof whiskey too
0: i wish i knew that he would use the single barrel because then i would have given a clever name to the the cocktail. you know what i would have called it what's that malone aid because I can't win.
1: <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't put this in a
0: cocktail. We, But we did. Uh, but here we you are. You'll have to go back to the catalog to know that story.
1: Yeah. So shout out to everybody who <laughs> who who braved not only crossing that dangerous Minnesota-Wisconsin border, <laughs> but uh, also the, the weather that kept, they kept telling us it's going to rain, it's going to pour, and we got a couple drops. Yeah. Uh, but it was just a beautiful day. That burger that they made. So they took... Staves from the Knob Creek barrel that they picked, and they smoked not only the burgers but then also pork belly, and they used that. Wow. They they simmered it down basically into like a meat schmear, and they put yeah, that on like top of the patty.
0: Braised in the yeah, the that sounds delicious. As well as the onions,
1: yep. And then the onions were also uh, yes. smoked and cooked in the in the whiskey. So you had, Amazing. and then they they whipped the it into the aioli as well. So you had Knob Creek echoing through the entire burger the whole time, and like I had a moment like, you know, one of those, like you take a bite, like you're in the middle of a conversation, you take a bite. And then I just cradled it with two hands and just stared at it, making those weird, like, Ooh. that's the best,
2: that's the best moment. Ooh.
1: Like yeah, the noises yeah. that look like you just hit all the buttons on the keyboard at the same remember,
0: time. So we both cooed. We both cooed at the burger. Yeah, we, there uh, was burger definitely
1: dish. some burger cooing.
0: <laughs> Yeah, uh, shout out Boomin' Barbecue. That was a Boomin' Barbecue yeah. creation. Uh, admittedly, something like that to me sounds like it's probably not going to have the effect they intended. Not that it wouldn't be good, but, like, really, you're going to make the burger taste like whiskey? I don't know about all that. But having, like, I took the first bite, and I was like, okay, this is something
1: different, but, yeah. like,
0: great and different.
1: And they even had, like, the the pink smoke bark ring around yeah. the, the burger patty itself. Mm. Like, Boomin knocked it out of the park. And I loved, Bullshit. like, I knew it was going to be, a, I knew it, they, they brought the boomstick. I knew it was going to be good because I was waiting for a uh, former guest of the podcast, Melly Morozak, to arrive. And I was listening to those, all the keys on the keyboard sounds coming out of other people, and I'm like, "All right, well, we'll see if it's really that good." A
2: symphony, yeah, and then and then absolutely, mm. like,
1: brought it to a crescendo in my face, <laughs> and then it was fun watching other people walking up because they would just like hear Sing the Dylan noises. Crescendo in
0: your face, yes, 100. Okay,
1: <laughs> are we not? <laughs> I'm I'm here for it. Okay, I mean, my hands were wet and everything. It was wild. <laughs> nice, <laughs> and then we were like, "Well, that doesn't seem like enough fun." So uh, we decided to go to WWE Raw last night at Target Center. Good. And that was the Some first first live wrestling event that I had been to in 33 years. Wow. Major wrestling event. The last, yeah, major, sorry, mm. pro, professional uh, on the national stage. Years? Yeah. The last time that I went to a wrestling match, wow. uh, I was telling these guys, uh, Dino Bravo got spit on and I was in the front row and he thought it was me. Like actually mad. And then that was also the first time that Hulk Hogan body slammed earthquake. And mm. I can't remember if it was a story, like a kayfabe storyline or if it was actually real. But they had this thing where he was out of wrestling for a little while afterwards because he tore his, some muscle in his abdomen mm. was from real. picking him up. And I, was, I just remember being like, I don't think you should be able to do that. But those rings were so much more like rigid and shitty back then, and I just remember like the ropes and the the posts oh, shaking, shaking when yeah. he when he got slammed. But it was kind of fun. I had, I had honestly kind of blocked that memory out, and then I was reminded that I was at that show. And there's footage online of it. It was kind of cool. I was trying to see if I could see myself because I was right at the corner where the wrestlers oh, no, come out. No but uh, they didn't. It was all just little like one and two minute clips. The well, last right. time I
2: went to a wrestling match was like. 2001 Ooh. stone cold steve austin rock yeah. era yeah it was like super epic i was a yes. super duper crazy fan at that time like those were the days i was like loving it i was totally like immersed in everything about it i was like yeah. this is amazing stone cold is amazing yeah. rock and Saw connection crazy yeah right <laughs> That was those were the days
1: i uh i missed all that because being the minnesota sports fan i am i had bet all in on the wcw Oh who man, yeah. Fell flat on their though. face and got eaten up right around then.
2: But the NWO is a classic though. Absolutely. That's but all time but after, that so good, got, after that got after that
1: got murdered, I just walked away. I was like, uh, I don't I'm not going to support the other side. I spent 3 years cheering against you, I now get that. I don't want to cheer for you. So I missed all of that. So now it's been kind of fun to like go back and try and figure out all of these different st- cuz like, you know, there's a ton of people that ended up in movies and there's these storylines that are still echoing now go back all that far so yeah Yeah. it kind of it feels like like i was watching like the 85 bears and then i was like all right i'm good with football and then i came back and the first thing i saw was patrick mahomes and i'm like what is this wow this isn't what football used to be yeah
2: he's a monster though absolutely yeah
1: i love give me any competition
2: well i moved from wcw to wwf right and i remember thinking wcw was the best thing ever right and then one day somebody told me like no there's something like way better <laughs> you've never watched raw because i was a monday night nitro like yeah of course fiend you know i was like oh my gosh nwo this is amazing they were like dude you need to watch monday night raw and i was like okay and the first time i watched it i, I can't even remember what happened but it was like a revolutionary moment in my life <laughs> yeah so i'm sad that i missed out yeah i wish i would have told me i would have come last night oh
1: man that would have been rad that would have been yeah. amazing I mean, well, next time it. we'll figure out. Next time that's we'll, right. We'll figure out what. Hey, cross our fingers. WrestleMania, is coming. We've yeah. been hurt many times before.
0: I mean, I'm thinking of going to Philly for WrestleMania 40. So, I,
1: I enjoy think. Philadelphia. I've never been. Yeah, it's fun. Just don't tell me you're from Minnesota. Yeah, I Philadelphia is an interesting. Place. From there. Oh, no. I would not do that. <laughs> All right,
0: let's introduce our Yes,
1: Yeah, so we, we have this incredible spirit poured into the glasses next to us, but yeah. I feel like before we can talk about what's in the cup, we need to have the human who uh, helps this come to fruition introduce yourself. So please uh, let everybody know who you are and what you're representing.
2: Hey, how you doing? My name is Devin T. Adams, and I'm the founder and owner of Malamia Mescal. Glad to be here tonight.
1: Yeah. And what uh, what are we starting with as this pour before we get into stuff? So tonight we are starting
2: with a selection of mezcals that are all from the same producer, uh, a mezcalero na- by the name of Saturnino Martinez Mendez out of Matadlan in Oaxaca. Uh, we've got a nice uh, palinque at uh, kilometer 44, like right when you get to Santiago Matadlan. As soon as you get there, uh, you come off the highway at a palinque. Oh. We've got another a pretty big palinque. But yeah, tonight right now we're drinking the Espadine. Yeah. It's uh, at 42%. Uh, these Espadine are grown uh, on site. There's a huge family farm that's adjacent to the Palinque, um, like something like uh, 200 acres worth of Espadine. So that comes from there. Uh, generally, they harvest them at six years. That's what this is. Uh, nice has been roasted for uh, four days, spends eight days uh, fermenting in open air, pine tinas, and then distilled twice in copper stills.
1: Man, uh, Charles, I got to have a nip of this before you yeah. did. Uh, where are you on this? Cause I, the Mandarin just explodes out of there on my palate and it keeps making my mouth water and want more.
0: Mm, yeah. I just took my first sip. This is really nice. I agree. That's yeah, juicy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. When I was looking for a mescalero, one of the first things I was really looking for is when I first discovered that, you know, everything is about the agaves, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things I wanted to do is really find a Mescalero who was working with those agaves to really bring out the flavors in the individual agaves in a way that they weren't over smoking the process or having that really come through. I found that a lot of the, some of the brands that are, are kind of early on really made their name in the kind of smoky tequila lane, which is great. Sure. But there's enough of that on the market that I really feel like it was time to try to help people uh, really see the, the difference in each of the agaves, the terroir, and, and really how that experience can be something totally different inside the spirit. Uh, that's
1: wild. Um, now I know you were born in Alabama, is that correct? That's right. That's right. Can you, can you trace our listeners a path of how born in Alabama gets to owning, uh, <laughs> 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 I love, I love this because, uh, my, my life's path is, is weaving all over. It looks like a sewing machine that went crazy. Yeah.
2: I mean, actually I have, I have a good story for this. Okay. So I'm from Alabama and I grew up as a boy scout. I was an Eagle Scout, and I spent a lot of time in the woods, right? Just in the woods, loving backpacking. That's where I really learned just a a sense of adventure. And then uh, beyond that, I went to West Point. I studied economics and systems engineering. I was a ranger in the Army. And then I spent another 10 years walking around in the woods, being around (laughs) plants, like right, being in all these different places. Um, uh, And then ultimately, we come back full circle. And now my job, of course, is uh, surrounded by plants again in a different way, uh, but there they are uh, nonetheless. And so I think that that kind of is one of the, the weaves through my story is just being around these kind of products and whatnot. But I grew up younger. My dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, he did hair uh, and he's like a, a really big pioneer in using uh, the different chemical hair color for black hair in particular. Uh, so it was really a big like uh, pioneer at like Clairol, worked for them for a long time. So I grew up around kind of that artistic. kind of entrepreneurial mode i started my first business when i was a little kid in the salon i homeschooled when i was younger so i was around in the salon a lot and uh, they used to send me down the street to go get all these snacks and everything in the summer for all the the ladies that were getting their hair done and after a while i think it was like my eighth birthday i asked my mom like yo um where does the store buy the candy from yeah right because like sour patch kids they like they're a company. Whatever.
1: Yeah. They're not growing them out back. Yeah. Or so. they're not, they're not, it's not like
2: CVS brand or whatever. So yeah. she's like, yeah, they get it from Sam's club. So anyways, I started my first little, uh, my first little stand in the shop. So from there, I've just always had a love for kind of hospitality and CPG in that way. So all the way through when I was in college and everything, I knew I wanted to, to be a businessman later in life. Um, and so I studied like economics, like I said, um, and then I went to law school after I got out of the military. So my first business was, uh, Airbnb business in New York City had a business called BnBings, where basically uh, identified that there are a lot of management consultants were out of their apartments uh, at least four days out of every week because of their travel schedule sure. so 16 days out of the month you know for sure that you're not using your apartment in New York City and that is a gross like that doesn't even make sense as a business consultant yeah. you should be ashamed yeah. that you are pay- like that you are paying this much rent for an asset that you don't use well, you know, I have this expertise in short-term rentals. I run a business that will help you for the days that you're away, run your business, and we're going to give you a rebate on your rent, is like, was like the kind of way I did it. It was like, okay, I think I'm going to be able to cover your rent, plus you get XYZ amount of the proceeds for the month. Uh, so we did that for a while, but then the regulations changed in New York City. Yeah. Uh, and so I kind of had my ear to the ground at that time and worked with Airbnb Corporate, and that's what led me to go to law school. So I was like, man, I was running a business, everything was going great. Then all of a sudden, the regulations changed, and boom. Now I'm kind of, uh, you know, exposed in this way. So I got into the alcohol business through an investment with some of my classmates from college in 2019, 2020. We opened up a brewery in uh, Atlanta, Georgia called Elsewhere Brewing, at Elsewhere Brewing. Shout out to Elsewhere. Yeah, look us up. About to open up a second uh, location at Westside Paper in West Midtown in Atlanta. So that's great. Um, So that's where I got formalized in the alcohol business. That's where it all came together, and I was like, man, this is like a really, really regulated space. Um, I was in law school at the time, and I was really interested. And so that's how I got to alcohol in particular.
1: Love it. I love I love how completely intimidated I feel listening to, like, you casually say that you were a double major at West Point, and then you were like, so I was doing this, and I was, well, then I just went to law school. Like, I love, I love people that take their smarts, and take their drive, and just apply it. I well, think that's amazing.
2: Well, my thing about it always is that, you know, you come into this life with a bunch of question marks, and I still have so many question marks about so many things. And one of the great things about my education when I was younger is it really just sparked in me an, an ability to and a desire to want to learn. Like, yeah. There's just so much I don't know, and, like, it's always a humbling experience to understand that in real time. Even when I started the mezcal business, uh, yeah, I had no idea about uh, – the space about any of it, but again, I I, I knew that there was mescal on the shelf and mescal available in the bars and restaurants, so I knew that there was an ability to be able to make a brand. And yeah, just was like humbled and excited to learn about the process, learn about how things are made, learn about how things are sold, and so it's just been a journey and, and a great exciting adventure.
1: Is it a wild thinking about how many people have a tough time just saying the phrase "I don't know," and then. Wanting to go out and find that out. I think that's one of the biggest things that, like, it it baffles me in the world where people would rather stay in the dark than admit that they don't know something and go out and find it,
2: you know? It's school's fault. Yeah? It's school's fault because they penalize you when you don't get all the right answers. So then if you feel like you don't have all the right answers, then, like, you don't even want to try because of the experience of trying to have the right answers and not having the right answers has gotten you maybe not the best results in this formative experience in your life, I think is really what happens. That's so people don't even want to engage with it because they don't want to get a C in life, no. right? They don't want to get a D in life. They don't want to get an F at this thing that they're really interested in, right? They want to sing, but they think that if I make a song, maybe everybody will grade it a 33% and I don't want, that's not worth it to me. Right. You know, ah, that's
1: wild. I, I guess that's also the difference. Uh, shout out to to teachers everywhere. Like I, I lucked out that pretty much all along the way I had at least one teacher looking out for me. That's good. And they would foster because like my brain works very weird. And later on in life, got diagnosed with a full spectrum ADHD. But uh, it was there was always one teacher at every step of the way for me that kind of wanted to like step in and make sure, OK, like, yeah, let's maybe good. give him a wide berth here so he doesn't fuck this up. Because I react that way, where I want to walk away from it to like the the screaming for lack of a better term, like drill sergeant style teachers. Like, sure. I don't yeah, respond yeah, yeah. well to that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it helps when when the people who are looking out for the students are actually looking out for the students.
2: Sure. I mean, people are just trying to make it too. They're doing what they you know what they learn, how yeah. to do and whatnot. But yeah, I mean I, I think that's really what got me started in the business as well as you know, before it was the mezcal in particular. I started my company. It's called War Bevco, which stands for What's a Roadblock Beverage Company. And after we started the brewery, I was in my garage in Alabama and I was having like a legitimate down like pity party about my ideas. I was like, oh man, I really want to start my own brand. You know, my partner, Sam and Sarah, they're the main owners of the the brewery and, you know, obviously the, the driving force. And I was like, man, I want my own stuff. Then I started to just It was like, oh, well, they know all these people that invested and, like, who's going to invest in my business and all this. And, you know, I really had an aha moment just as you just said. Like, I have that resume. I had that resume on that day, right? And even so, I was sitting here having a pity party about how if I make a business, like, I don't know who's going to invest in it. And right then, like, I honestly, like, my ego or whatever, I don't know, I had, like, a super aha moment of, like, Devin, like, what are you saying? This is a crazy, this is a crazy thing. Like, (laughs) You've done all of this stuff in your career to all this hard stuff, Ranger, all this, to prepare yourself for moments like this. And here you are in the garage, like, doubting before you've even taken a step. Um, And I really just was really encouraged by that. And it was like, man, like, how many other people are out there who want to start a craft spirits brand or a beer brand or whatever, but are second-guessing themselves because they don't know, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of a, a moment I really felt kind of groomed for in my life of, like, okay, like, leadership. All right, let me, like... Let me be the one that starts and, and gets through all the pain points to actually go through this and understand how can we make a pipeline for people to, uh, you know, make their craft beers, brands, or imports, or whatever it is. And so that's really how we got uh, to the Mezcal. And then once I went to Oaxaca, it's game over. I, I mean, I just yeah. fell in love with the place, and I just was so inspired by all of the art and all the culinary expansions that are going down there, all the Mezcaleros, and just really wanted to be a part of the the, the community and the scene down there. So...
1: I think it's amazing, Charles, how many people we've had on the show that have talked about like wildly successful, intelligent, driven people that have talked about the cancer that is uh, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. where there's always that little voice telling us that maybe we're not, we're not the ones that are supposed to be the ones doing that. And if you can get past that, man, that already puts you you know, meters and meters ahead of anybody else, because it, it can be so loud, it can, be, it can drown out every other sound if you can't get a handle on that. No, Absolutely wild. Uh, well, should we jump into this?
0: Yeah, let's. Cheers. All right. Well, salute. Salute.
1: Cheers. Thanks. Thanks. Ah. Mm. That's so fucking good.
0: All right, I'm up to bat. First topic. All right, Devin. Name a positive quality you get from one of your parents.
2: positive okay that i get from them or that they taught me
0: Uh, i think that if there's crossover cool but you choose your own adventure yeah
2: i guess one is like one like they taught me some stuff like Mm -hmm. hey this is this and some stuff i learned from like osmosis that's what i would say like i got yeah yeah.
0: i would prefer if you have something in that arena i like that idea that like latent uh, lesson that you learn just by like observing or being around or being risen by, I that,
2: think by something that I really learned from my father as I get older. I think when I was younger, I, I had a different relationship with my dad than I as I get older. Um, or like I didn't really understand it, but now that I look back at it, I just think I really learned from my dad just in uh, just the intentionality of work ethic. Like my dad was just like always, like he always was work. Like I never knew my dad to not be just like working and getting after it. I don't know, like he just you know whatever our family needed, it was just nothing to. To have my dad at the shop all the time, just doing his thing. So as I've gotten older, it's never been weird for me to do that. Like I really feel like I emulate him in that in that way, and I really can look back and say, I really get this from the fact that I remember my dad used to just get up, make his coffee, we'd go to the salon, boom, first client, and you know he might have clients from nine o'clock in the morning until you know until nine, standing behind the chair. You know, I'd go get him lunch from the bowling alley or whatever. And he would eat his lunch real quick and then be back to it, that's, you know? That's and that's just, like, that's something that you can't even, I can't even describe. When I think about it, I'm like, man, this guy used to just get after it. So, that I think my whole life, when I started doing all the different stuff that I had, in my mind, I was never very doubtful about it because I was like, this is the work that I'm doing, right? Like, when I was a soldier, I was just like, yeah, like, it's just what we're doing. Like, you wake up in the morning and we go to PT and then we do whatever we do until we're done doing it and then we get back up and do it again. And so that's something that I think has been really uh, positive for me. Just the idea of not, uh, if you're, I just saw him do something that he really enjoyed mm. and, and what it means to, to find something that you can not mind to sit there and, and work that hard about, I guess is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. You know? So that was oh, amazing. Awesome. That and
1: was then good.
2: my mom, if I, I got shot, by my mom, yeah. I love my mom too. My mom taught me directly though. My mom taught me directly Uh, that you can do anything that you plan for. And that is like the seed, I think, that has carried me all the way through anything that I've achieved in my life. Is that like, hey, I really want this thing. And it's made out of these, I call them building blocks. It's made out of these different building blocks. I know that I don't have them today, but I know that I can have them one day if I make a plan for how I'm going to collect them. You know, it's just like uh, collecting Pokemon. It's like you got to go to the right areas, Right, you gotta roam around in the grass yeah. until you find them, right? And then you better have your master ball when you're ready. So,
1: well, and I love that because it's not just—it's not just you can do anything you want to, because you can want all kinds of things. Sure. but you have to make that plan in order to execute it. Absolutely, that's a great lesson.
2: Yeah, they're—they're they're the best. Shout out to mom. Yeah, shout out <laughs> Gloria and James.
1: Well, I, that actually frees me up because I was trying to figure out which way to go. But as a child of divorced parents, it's nice to just take kind of one from each. Sure. But weirdly, like uh, Charles and I, you and I kind of talked about this topic a little bit a few days ago. And it occurred to me that um, I got the same thing on two sides of a coin from my mom and from my dad. Um, my mom was the one who taught me that a comfortable lived-in house is a place that other people will feel home okay and um, going back to even high school but really it got it got more important in college um, every holiday my mom would invite she would call it all of my orphan friends anybody yeah. that had family they couldn't get back to anybody that had to work and couldn't go home our house was their house and she had a like not just like a card table with like a folding chair like my mom had a spot for everybody right. and even if like every now and then one of my friends would show up and like randomly, like bring a significant other. And it was like, all right, give me five minutes and we'll have to reset the table. But she wanted everybody to feel like they had an equal spot at that table. And that informed more of how I execute my relationships with my friends than I think anything else on earth. I want, I hope at least everybody who gets to know me to know that you're always welcome at my house And if, you know, if you had a couple beverages, there's a safe place to sleep. That if you, if you're going through some shit, there's a spot for you. And when the few times in my life that I've needed that, I have considered that absolutely life-saving medicine just to know that there's somebody that cares and that has a spot for you, that has a plate for you and that wants to take care of you. That's a pretty impactful thing. And watching, like I have friends today that had a Christmas meal at my mom's house 20 years ago that still ask how my mom is when we're texting. Amazing. Because that, like, it sits in their like, brain, too.
2: Is she one of those people that makes, like, a specialty dish for you, too?
1: She, uh, not as much anymore, because I've pretty much taken over all cooking duties. Okay, okay. Uh, but there were there were definitely a few a few dishes back in the day that, like, we if we were coming home, especially, like, the morning after, she always had this, like, she called it royal conglom. It was, like, the breakfast. It was, like, egg bake. But it was awesome. And nice. It, it was huge. Uh, so that was that was my mom's side was always making sure that people felt like they had a home they could go to and on my dad's side uh, my dad's office when I was in my early 20s and we were not really talking my dad's office was two blocks away from the bar that I worked at and uh, my dad did not go to uh, my bar but a lot of his coworkers would when they got off work and I never told anybody, but slowly a couple people figured it out that I was Bob's son. And the thing that I, I used to hate, like I used to fucking hate it when they would tell these stories, but now that I really love was that he like, he remembered everybody's birthdays. He remembered people's kids' birthdays. He remembered like whatever happened in your life, he would somehow like track that and he would always like send cards or as text messaging became more of a thing, like he would check in on everybody a lot. And I think I was mad about it cause I was jealous cause he wasn't doing that with me, but I also was not ready. I was not there for that at the time either. So even if he had tried, I probably just wouldn't have responded or I would have thrown the right. card away. But I think that without realizing that, like if, this is like a weird epiphany that I had. I think that actually affected me more than I think it did in how I relate to my my people now is like, if even if I've like, all right, Devin, say you and I had crossed paths at an airport. We had a drink together at a bar. If we ended up exchanging info somewhere in the next month or two, I would just randomly reach out and just see how you're doing. And I've made a lot of connections that way. I've strengthened a lot of friendships that way, but I hope I've also made, some people that were maybe having a shitty day, have a better day. Like, I'm not asking for anything. I just want to know how you're doing, man. You made me laugh. We talked about whatever, rat wrestling, you know?
2: Well, I'm going to definitely expect uh, both a bed <laughs> yep. and a text message. I got you. Okay, so I'm here for <laughs> a couple more days. So, you know, we got plenty of time for to, to call in, yep. the, the home visit. And for sure, I'm going to be looking out for that text message. Hell but yeah. it sounds like thoughtfulness and caring.
1: Yep, And it it was... I, I don't know how to phrase this and not sound shitty. It's not that my parents weren't thoughtful and caring. It was my mom worked her ass off 18 hours a day, so there wasn't a lot of room for that. And what what traditionally, you know, when you watch TV shows, what people get from, like, the the loving mother figure was wildly different than what I got. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of, like, I see that, and I see that at my friends' houses, and why isn't my thing that? But looking at how I grew up, like she also informed my work ethic on a lot of different things, and you know she knows that now when I can't come to family stuff because I got something going on with work, that she can't say anything because there was a lot of stuff that got missed back then, and she understands like that drive, right. and I think she's happy that I have that. Um, but it's it is really nice, kind of coming back around and realizing that I got two of the signature ways that I try to show the people in my world that I care for them. I absolutely helped learn through my parents and that's a it's a nice way to try and like contextualize what it actually is to like raise a kid while divorced and not making a whole lot of money like you you have to cut some corners in some spots and how do you make sure that a kid turns out decent well you Mm -hmm. lead with your example of caring for others and if the I, i think any parent out there would agree that regardless of what job or career somebody goes into or whatever, if you raise a kid that looks out for other people and is kind, like that's hopefully what you're looking for. Yeah, so I, I think that they, they both, whether it was intentional or not, they both informed that for me. Dr.
0: Awad? Yeah, I mean, part of what made me arrive at this was sort of something that I concluded, you know, I'd, I'm not going to say anything nice about my dad. I didn't have any relationship with my father for most of my life. Um, and I couldn't, I mean, he taught me how to cast a line, I guess fucking the few times I fished with him. But um, wh- what kind of made me do an end around to uh, arrive at this topic is that I think I learned and I didn't I didn't realize it for a long time. I think I learned my sense of hospitality for guests from my mom. And it's a very Lebanese thing. We've discussed this as well. It's customary. It's an unwritten rule, but it's customary in Lebanon if someone comes to your home to offer them fresh fruit. Uh, sweets or pastries, cigarettes, coffee, and alcohol. Like this just someone comes to your house. You offer them all these things to the point that I was telling Quam about this while we were having coffee a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they have these really big, beautiful, ornate, like crystal trays that you would put like a fruit arrangement on. A lot of people in Lebanon, including like my aunties, would have that on one level of their fridge with the fruit already arranged on it. Because if someone came over, they would just have to slide it out Boom. of the fridge. That's amazing. Come put right? it on the coffee table. Okay, another house
2: visit. They they're <laughs> they're rock,
0: you know, like it's just, they, it, that's just the way that they do things. And it didn't really occur to me that that's like something that was embedded in my mother, which then thereby became embedded in me that I now understand because of the way that I treat people who come to my home. And it arrived as a conclusion in my mind when, I had some friends coming over a couple of weeks ago and they all one by one were asking me what to bring over. And I already know my answer is going to be, you don't have to bring anything to my house. I have more liquor than I'll be able to drink in a lifetime. I'm preparing food. I just need your butt in a seat to mm-hmm. have a conversation with me. Um, doesn't mean that people won't still bring a bottle of wine or something. And I was like, where did I fucking get that from? That didn't just kind of naturally occur. Maybe some portion of it, some equation of it did naturally occur. But then I thought about the fact that when I go to my mom's house, she will, it seems like she's trying to fatten me up to kill me. Right. Like she's like, (laughs) I got four different things already in the fridge. I can make you four other things right now with the Mm -hmm. ingredients that I have. Do you need some water? Do you need, you know, you want to try this pastry I got? Do you want to just
1: rub this cream cheese on your skin real quick? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Even when you're like, even when you're like, listen, I just ate. I told you when I Uh walked to the door that I ate before I drove to your house from four blocks away. And even then, it's like, come on, try the chicken and rice. It's really good. I just made it. But it's that. And she does it with, like, everybody that I know. She does it with my wife. She does it with my friends. Like, if our friend All Good stops by to help Tony... She sends him with like a bag. We call it Vera Mart. She'll send you with this. like a, <laughs> it's like a grocery bag full of stuff. And you don't even know what's in there half the time. It's like a pint of blueberries and some stuffed zucchinis and a head of romaine lettuce and like a <laughs> bottle of olive oil.
1: You're like, what is all this stuff? Did I get high at whole foods or did I swing by Vera's Or did she? Yeah. You're yes. Like, <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah, that's, I, 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 I'm happy that that's something that I, it's occurring to me now that I, gathered from my upbringing is that when people come into your domicile you treat them like they are a part of your household you feed them and and especially in that way the hospitality of food and beverage is something that
1: is like really important to me and that's where I got it well and you know bringing it back to your attachment and kind of getting into the alcohol side of things Devin I one of the things that I think I fell in love with because I went to school for political science I was Going to be a politician and a speechwriter. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I was working as a bartender part time. And I think one of the things that I fell in love with was that this bottle means that everybody's seat is the same height. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you pour something out, if you pour a little bit more, a little bit less in somebody's cup, I guess that you can create a difference. But the idea of sharing a drink, like that drink costs the same for everybody at that bar. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of the few places on earth that it doesn't matter how much money you have the same amount of money buys the same drink. And then this, all the stools are the same height. And I really fell in love with that because it's one of the few places left in life that we have that where we can sit there and we can all kind of be on the same level and have these normal conversations about anything Absolutely. and that also comes to a place of caring where it doesn't matter if you're if you're picking through your car seat to find enough change to buy a beer or if you literally can't figure out if you have anything smaller than 100 in your wallet to have a beer that beer is the same it's the same temperature it's served in the same glass and the stools next to each other are the same height that creates a different form of 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 providing for people
2: 100 i mean i love that Even when I spend time in Mexico, I'm in Oaxaca, you go to the different Palinques and go visit the different Mescaleros, like, my Spanish is much improved uh, from the beginning. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's just the joy on their faces when they hand you something that they know is amazing, right? When they're like, oh, you know what, I like this guy. Hold on, just second. You know, they go to the back. They go get the water bottle of the special, special, special. And they're like, "Yo, listen. You know, this is 26 years old and like blah blah blah. But like, you know, I want to share with you because you're a cool guy. You know, that's amazing. And um, just having that ability to share things. I think another cool thing about the the industry is that the various values that are Assigned to the various liquids And mm-hmm. this is age So or th- there's only so much of this So it's like rare or this expensive or, or whatever I think that's also fascinating Just to understand that when somebody Wants to bring out their good bottle Versus when they want to bring out their bottle Of like yeah I mean these guys They, uh-huh. don't, know, they don't know anything about this So I'm just going to pull out you know The run of the mill stuff I think that kind of stuff is very interesting as well yeah, sure, The hierarchy absolutely. of offerings
1: That's fair That's absolutely next? fair
2: Yeah, the next thing we have is uh, a quiche, an agave karwinski. Um, So one of the cool things about the agave karwinski is that it's one of the agaves that grows up like a tree um, versus a lot of the other ones grow down into the ground, more of a bulbous uh, type of plant. Sure. So the quiche uh, generally grows to be about 10 feet tall. They grow about 12 to 14 years. You'll hear a lot of different names for the agave karwinski out there in the world. There's quiche... There's Madre Quiche, Baikuiche, there's Tobasiche, Largo, Barrio. Um and the various names also have to do with where the Quiche or where the Karwinski itself is growing, where they're making it, and um like what that culture identifies. So for example, in Santa Catarina Minas, where they do a lot of ancestral mezcal, they call this plant a Siche mm-hmm. and a quiche. But what everybody else calls quiche, they call tobasiche, and what they call quiche, everybody else calls uh, largo. So, you know, there's a lot of different flavors, but this one is pretty herbaceous, Yeah. Uh, much more, um, I guess people say, vegetal. Usually for tastings, what I tell people is that this is the most that I have to offer that's like a gin. Mm. If a gin is a 10 in, the, in its botanicals and its crispness, this is more of a 6, right? It's still a mezcal, 100% agave, but uh, these are made from the trunk of the tree. Rather than the heart of the pina.
1: Ooh. Yeah. There's a, there's a savory note through that that I just adore. That's yeah, fucking great. Herbaceous, herbaceous and grassy and
0: yep. fresh. And yeah, that's lovely.
2: I like to usually put this in. If I'm going to put this in a cocktail, I like to put it in a spicy margarita. Something, yeah. something savory. My anecdote about this is that um, we made a blueberry basil margarita. Uh, one with the Ensemble, which we'll have later, one with the Quiche. And in the Quiche drink, the, the basil is like what you carry through because this is so herbaceous already. Yeah. It carries you down that, that you know, it kind of adopts that flavor. Whereas the Ensemble, with its composition, you got much more of the fruitiness, much more of the roundness. And so one of the other things that I really want to encourage all the mixologists out there listening to this is that I know that there's a lot of people who say that you're not supposed to use some of these rare agaves for cocktails. And I hear that. I totally respect that in Mexico that is largely true. Yeah. But in the Ameri- in America we are a cocktail culture um, and I think that we want to welcome people and show people more ways that they can experience and enjoy this spirit. Um, the more they enjoy it the more that everybody's able to, you know, the you know Rising Tide lifts all boats and I think that it's really important to give people the ability to enjoy the spirit in the way that they want to enjoy it the best. So Um, and this, I usually tell people, well, yeah, savory. Um, if you put this in a sweet drink, it can be, sometimes it can turn into agave syrup a little bit. Okay. It can be a bit sweet. Sure. Um, so if you've got agave syrup in it, I would not put the quiche in there.
1: I, you know what this keeps pulling me to is there's a cocktail that we've talked about on a couple different episodes here. Uh, that's made at a, a restaurant locally called Petit Leon and they have tomatillo water, uh, in okay. the cocktail, and mm-hmm. then it's still built around citrus and, and green herbs, and this to me is like, it's it's a distillate of all of those flavors that I loved in that cocktail, mm-hmm. because you there's still a sweetness in there absolutely, but then there's that there's that vegetal note like a the the best part of like celery flower and like celery leaves, and then there's that little hint of of salinity in there, and I that's just. Fucking beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love that.
2: Thanks. This has been a real crowd favorite for us. It's at 41% ABV. So, actually, I, I got a good story for y'all. One day about eating before you drink, actually, one day I was super busy, had all this stuff going on in Oaxaca. And so, I was going to see my mescalero, Saturnino. And so, I show up, and Saturnino's like, Oh, Devin, um, uh, we got to exercise, we got to do today. And I'm like, Yeah, what's up? He's like, You need to pick the proof for your Mezcal. Now, Up to this point, I I didn't realize that this was my call, right? I don't don't know why I didn't know that, but, like, I I literally was like, what? And he was like, yeah, like, what do you want? And he's like, so he gave me basically around 12 to 13 options uh, from basically 38, well, mostly from 40 to, like, 52. Okay, sure. Depending on the Agave, it kind of had a different band. And so I sat there with each of them and had to go – through tasting them and figure out what did I think was the the right ABV for each to bring out the expression the way that Mm. I was looking for. So here with the quiche, I I chose 41%, and it's because I think at this level of alcohol, it's a great ability for you to taste the plant more. Mm -hmm. Over 45, which a lot of people in Mexico like over 45, I totally understand that, but I think you're getting a different experience. You're really drinking an alcoholic drink at that point, and it's flavored like quiche. Whereas this, I feel like is a little bit more of like a quiche flavored liquid, and that's what we were going for. We really want sure. to highlight uh, the ability uh, and the difference in taste in each of these agaves. So glad y'all like it. Quicheer, oh. it's quicheer, it's quichier. <laughs> Uh
1: All right, I think it's uh, a little cheers, and then uh, cheers. It's my turn. Yeah, cheers. And thank you to our ever wonderful. And surprisingly silent friend Katie Devick, who is hanging out mm-hmm. in the uh, the basement of the classic confines. She did say it's healthcare. bad when I said "quisi." <laughs>
0: <laughs> she n- had to make sure I knew how bad that was.
1: <laughs> that's not and a I good gave word. Her a thumbs
0: up because that's what I'm looking for.
1: Hey. So. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, we have all traveled to Mexico. You have a house there. You have an apartment uh, down in Oaxaca. One of the things that I love to think about when I travel is what would I, what would I take back from this place if I could just, and not just like a thing for me, but like, what could, what would I love to pick from a place that I am and spread that out over my world? So is there a thing, whether it's food related, beverage related, I don't know if you cook on your own, um, something that you love at restaurants or bars, what would you take from the culture that you've experienced down there and, and, want to have kind of everywhere you go? Well, I
2: have to tell you, I did bring back an ungodly amount of mezcal with me from Oaxaca in the form of Malamia. Uh,
1: <laughs> I <laughs> so, would love to go everywhere with mezcal too. Yeah, I yes. know.
2: It's actually funny. Somebody came over to my house uh, the other day and there, we have this huge bar, obviously, full of Malamia bottles. And the guy walks into my house and he's like, He's like, damn, y'all must really like that drink. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, bro, it's uh, I own the brand. And he was like, oh, okay. But it was funny because he didn't know. But anyways, um, I honestly, uh, two things. So the art down mm, in Oaxaca, yeah. I have a lot of art. One of the cool things that I did when I first stayed down there, uh, I think that was like my first real inspiration. I have a, um, I partnered with a gallery down there, and in the brewery we ran like a little micro gallery, Oaxaca. Elsewhere connection, you know, it's in line with our brand, and um, yeah, I mean, just the beauty of all of this art, and they're selling it for not very expensive in Mexico, and I just felt like you know, there's a lot of fine art that's really going down on. Like, if you study fine art or know what's going on in the business, I think that if these artists had a New York platform, sure, they'd be renowned, world famous artists, actually. The artist who did the agave illustrations on the front of our bottles is an uh, artist named Jose Alberto Canseco, who is one of the most phenomenal artists like, of our time, I swear. like One of my life's missions is to try to like blow Jose's art up. It's so amazing. But um, I have a painting that uh, is called uh, The Magic of the, the Agave, or La Magia del Maguey. And to commemorate the brand, we did a five-panel like panel painting. It's probably like six feet. Oh man, Whoa. it's so amazing. So that's one of the things I think I yes. can't wait to share with like, the world. I sitting in my house in Oaxaca, but we're working on opening a mess galleria in New York City. And the um, concept is like a galleria, like a gallery speakeasy type situation. So oh, hopefully yeah. it'll can be a good Can New we have
1: more of that? Yeah. Like sipping houses that are also art galleries yeah, looking it's at be you, sick. Minneapolis?
2: So that's the thing. So, yeah. So, I mean, and also, yeah, Minneapolis, let me know. I've got lots of artists that we represent. We can definitely get some cool stuff up here. Yeah. Um, so that's really, I think, even the design and packaging for Malamia was so much inspired by all my time sitting with all the painters and just really taking in colors and thinking about how they're thinking about it um, and really wanting to make sure that if I'm going to put together something artistic and beautiful in the name of Oaxaca, that it better be artistic and beautiful. In the name of Oaxaca. And that, I think that was the challenge for me yes. the whole time was to try to create something that was exportable um, from the place but also accepted there as well. So yeah. I don't even know if that answers the question.
1: That absolutely does. Both yeah, the mezcal and the sure. art. Beauty. I, yes. I
0: don't, know if the, I don't know if I've ever been to a museum where I liked a higher percentage of the things that I saw than the Anthrop- Anthropological Museum in Mexico City. Oh, These man. The, it's so nice. The batting average was significantly high. The, almost everything you look at you're like my god look at this thing there's nothing there's nothing like that amazing um, yeah. a lot of other museums can be hit or miss yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah i was just at the louvre beautiful lots of beautiful painting but some stuff you look at you're like nah that's not for me dog but like oh hey it's the, a pear it looks Bellagio like a pear museum, yeah cool uh, i i've i felt like i could have spent a lot more time in there it's just at some point you got to move more quickly because everything's yeah. so beautiful you just want to like stop and and pause and a lot of historical stuff about farming and, of course. and agave practices and, and corn farming and things like that were really stunning to look at. And also, educational you know, these giant reliefs that show like the growing process of agave that's it's that's immediately what I was reminded of when you mentioned that six foot piece that sounded a lot like oh,
2: it's beautiful. Uh, I used to spend a lot of time in the design process just sitting in the galleries in Oaxaca and just taking in like I don't I didn't study art or any of that but you know you have to be intuitive about some of these things and just understanding like the use of colors the use of layers the use of you know the texture and all of the things And I think that's like that's what I tell everybody's listening yeah go to Oaxaca the mezcal yes that's also amazing but there's just so much art that is just so beautiful um yeah mm. I lived I in that. Italy too and I loved the the wine and everything else there but I don't think I was sophisticated enough at that age to really, like, get this deep into to it. Get, right? yeah. like, I was yeah. like, I was in my 30s when I went to Oaxaca, and yeah. I was like, oh, mezcal. Yeah. I go. was in the business. I was, like, 24 in Italy. I yeah. just drank sure. a lot of it. Yeah. That was
1: Charles and you and I, Mostly, And you
2: mostly enjoyed it. It was there yeah. to be enjoyed. And now <laughs> when I see I, Valpolicello on a menu, I'm definitely buying a bottle. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Charles,
1: Charles and I, we've talked about it on the show. We were recently in Copenhagen together. Nice. And we were with another couple, and I was with them for a day, and we went to this neighborhood in in Copenhagen called Christiania. And they were asking what it was like when I had been there 23 years earlier, 24 years earlier. And I was like, honestly, like my mind was on different things. I was, I was following a woman and I, (laughs) I remember, I remember really good hash. I remember a couple dudes that I was a little scared of. And I remember we basically ate hot dogs from street stands the whole time. But like I was walking through that same neighborhood and going like, how did I not remember any of this? But your, pers- your perspective is different, you know? Absolutely. It's all about, like, what you're doing at that stage in your life, and I was not in the let's take the scenery in moment in my life. It mm-hmm. was more like, let's get another look at that booty.
2: Bar scene, yeah. though. The bar scenery, I was definitely... Oh, yeah. But that's where I... But I feel like also when I went to Europe was when I got baptized a bit into more of the cocktail culture. In the States, when we were drinking, we were drinking, like, bullfrog. And like terrible mixed drinks from Alabama, you know, like Mountain Dew and you know. I have
1: not heard bullfrog. Yeah, man, that's what we were drinking. Holy shit! I was
2: twenty (laughs) four, getting my mind like open. Like when somebody gave me a Negroni for the first time, I was like, "What? (laughs) What is like what?
1: I can't even process what the flavors are." Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, Charles, what would you what would you take back from from your travels? If we're talking about Mexico, if yeah.
0: we are talking about Mexico, I would say like curative beverages like the Hugo Verde. You know, Ooh, like I remember yeah, sure. in our hotel every morning and I was, for the 900th time, I'm going to ring up the fact that I was dealing with elevation shit. But in the morning, I was like looking for any sort of an edge to make myself feel normal to start the day so that I could adventure. And we'd go up to the rooftop of... Our hotel, and they always had this giant pitcher of the the green juice that contains nopales and mm-hmm. uh, cucumber, celery, pineapple, lime juice, some parsley, uh, maybe some spinach. Like it's usually some combination. I of would those fuck things. that up it's right green. now. Yeah, and 100%. Barney and I have been talking about like we need to make it, but we need to source some nopales. We got to go to St. Paul to some of the mm-hmm. some of the um, Mexican markets to find some Nepalese because I want to do it the way they did it because I drank that every morning and it really did make me feel even if it was um, even if it was just like psychosomatic it made me start off on the right foot when I was like okay you're fine you feel great you drank this magic potion and there are a lot of drinks like that that it's not just they're not just doing apple and carrot juice they're not just doing orange juice they have all these like cool concoctions that are designed to be Somewhat like curative, or to like get you off on the right foot or to repair some damage that you've done uh, that I think are a lot more interesting mm-hmm. than the beverages we have, and that doesn't even get into also the notions of like the beverages that you get alongside uh like an agave tasting when they have the they have a different green juice with the jalapeno in it and the mm-hmm. herbs and stuff. I love that too, as an accoutrement they're always the the notion of thinking in those terms a lot more frequently than we do with fresh fruits and different herbs and vegetables and things like that in a juice form that's the closest I've ever been to caring about juicing because I don't give a shit like you're eliminating all the fibers and a lot of the other things that are good but in that particular arena I absolutely loved it and I was like okay I can juice like this Mm, yeah that's the kind of juice I can get into. you got the juice now Charles. (laughs)
2: They're like liquid specialists, man. Right? The coffee's amazing. Yeah. The mezcal, obviously, they have tequila, all of it. Like, all the fresh juice is amazing.
1: For me, I think it's, it's, so we allow a long cooking time, an overnight cooking time, excuse me, we allow that when people are talking about barbecue. Sure. That's about it. And I look at some of the the sauces that I've had, the molays that I've had. Oh, it's not possible to make that in a day. And I don't understand what our reluctance is. If we're going to wear, if we've turned cooking into yet another competition where we're going to show how over the top we can be. Like, I slept 27 minutes last night because I was watching the fire on this brisket. Why the fuck are we not doing that with sauces? I don't and
2: know. And
1: I don't, like, it's the, it's the, the patience and the time that people carve out for something that is supposed to matter. And we talk about how much food matters all the time and then we give it like 45 minutes, you know? And the more that I think about the things that I love around the world, almost all of them are the things that take a lot of time. And I'm I'm looping myself in on this. I am not, this is not an accusatory statement. I am saying I don't understand why I have spent 21 hours on a brisket and I have once in my life spent overnight on a sauce. And it's something that I need to change in my brain because every time I go anywhere in the world where there is something that takes days to prepare, I will seek it out and I will find it and I will roll around in it, be out in the back alley if I can because I love it so much. And then I don't give myself time to make something like that at home. Man, you're so right. You know? And it's, it's like, why don't we give ourselves that time and weirdly we have a carve out already like barbecue is a competition to some of my friends and they will they will spend entire weekends doing it but they don't do it with sauces or anything else and i don't have another literal for that i don't have another allegory for that in america but i think it's
0: a it's a corner
1: you can cut yeah i guess you're right because
0: the meat you can't cut that corner Mm -hmm. you can't just go get a brisket that could potentially be as good as the one that's going to take you 21 hours to make. Right. But also like but culturally, we don't have a lot of sauces. I think that we yeah, consider in that regard because you don't see a lot of people make moles, even though mm-hmm. more people should, more people, make more make people moles. should make mole
2: well, it, in here on yeah. that. Like, yeah. But
1: even, could, even for like my, my Italian American <laughs> friends that are the ch- the children of immigrants, like, Sunday gravy was something that was started on Saturday. You know, like that's a that's a sauce that takes that long to come together. A bolognese. I mean, that's that's a full day.
2: My most immediate thought is just that. If I ask somebody, like, "Hey, if I smoke a brisket for twenty seven hours, what do you expect that to do?" People are going to be like, "Oh, it's going to make it more tender. It's going to make it more flavorful. Whatever." Like, I think that most Americans don't understand what the 27 hours is doing to the sauce, maybe. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I just thought about it, and I was like, like, you know what? I don't know, because I'm like, Mm -hmm. what is, why do I need to sit with a sauce for 27 hours? Like, what's happening in there? Right, I'm just thinking, every time I think about it, I just think about, like, caking stuff off the side of the pot. And maybe that's because I'm just a rookie at it, but that's why I think about having something in a pot for a long time.
0: Yeah, right, like, how many Americans make mother sauces? We just don't think about it. It's just not. It doesn't occur to no you way. a lot of people. I think about it, mm-hmm. but also, qualm I'm calling bullshit. You've made a lot of sauces that take more than one day. It's just you haven't contextualized it because you make your own stock.
1: Well, that's okay. Yeah, that's true. You, and there's so there days that are split up. I'm, yeah, I'm cheating it a quite little a bit. Distance yeah, that's f- that's by that's drone. fair. That's like, that's I'm, a good point. Because
0: I'm thinking about it, and I was thinking like, yeah, when I made a veal demi, I mean, that could take three days. Yep. I, that's another thing is you're also speaking to me because I should. Do it again. I well, just don't do it because you can just buy. So Demi, this right. <laughs> this question,
1: literally this question, when I when I was thinking about how I wanted to contextualize, like what you would want to take back to Evan from Mexico, that was the first thing that popped up. Is like, what would I take? Oh, it's this. And then the, my next thought was like, you know what? I should fucking do something about that. The first thing that I thought was actually doing field Demi class because I have yeah. I have some stock and I have I, I I have a in my head a way that I want to do it. But it's funny because I've had that for 6 months and I've come up with myriad reasons why I couldn't possibly take the time to do that, but it's all bullshit. It's literally because I'm not used to having to wait multiple days in a row to have a thing that I want to eat. 100%. Dude, we do it with everything. We do it with bro, everything. 100%. Because people are like give me the pizza dough that
0: takes an hour Give me the no need dough. Sure. I know there's something intimidating about like proofing and yeast and things like that when it comes to in particular with breads, but I think for most people it's not about that. It's about like I want the same thing, but I want it in way less time.
2: Because I- even an eight hour crock pot meal, I'm going to be honest with you, most people can't do it. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they want to do their, they want to do the four hours on high. Yep. They're not there for the six to eight hours on low. Mm-hmm. Like even if they're not home all day, they're just like, nah, the idea of starting at 10. And then, like 10 in the morning, and for a six o'clock yep. open, I think for most people is beyond their I'm ability sad. to conceptualize waiting yeah. for that long for food. So, yeah, that's that's profound. I'm gonna think about that. We gotta, we that's just, what we're gonna talk about when you text, yeah. Me. We gotta give us like, more you time. you know what,
1: bro, I got this. You know what, it'll be I'll be I'll be making oh. stuff that I'll be like, hey, just so you know, <laughs> like that conversation, it took a while, but it finally sunk nice. in. This is what I'm making, and here's how I made it. Perfect, you, you go ahead. You know, another, uh, Great
0: example of that is we got coffee a couple of weeks ago with Dewey and Haley who were yeah. with us in Copenhagen and Dewey just off the cuff said to me, and this is like a lot of time had passed. He said, when you made us the 72 hour short ribs with the Romanesco and the baby artichoke and all the accoutrement, he, he said, that's the best meal I've ever had in my life. And I was wow. like, I don't know where that came from, but holy shit, thank you so much. Yeah. And he was like, well, can we do to have a dinner where you recreate that meal? And I haven't done a 72-hour anything since then because that's a lot of motherfucking time Uh to do some short ribs, but it makes it a different cut of meat because it doesn't break up. It becomes like a tender steak, Mm -hmm. and it's super unusual. But him saying that encouraged me to, even if I don't use a short rib, if I use something similar, like if I use a beef cheek or something, but I do like a similar process to that, I'm like, yeah, why don't I do that again? Especially having him say something like that to me where I'm like, it's it can be worth the effort to do something like that.
2: And what we need right now is just a TikTok or a reel that does the breakdown of, like, the 72 hours and tells me why the 72-hour mm-hmm. sauce that's it. is better than yeah. the 24-hour sauce. I'm telling you, that's, don't, the, that's don't the key right
1: there. It. You're right. If no, somebody I'm, was I'm stirring and was like,
2: look how, like, less clumpy this is, and look how smooth this is, and look yeah. how much flavor, like, or we added, like, this much more basil on the 36th hour. And if you wait one minute, then like, you know, that's what we need. That's what the the kids will start doing it then. Uh, Yeah. There's like the mole that I had Pujol, which I believe when I had it was like
0: 1600 days old or something. Maybe longer. That's, I don't know. It was, it's, they, they've been salaring that for a very, very long time. And they explain the reasoning behind it. And it's because you're like, continually marrying the oldest element that was ever in that pot with the newest element that was ever in that mm. pot. It's also why they serve the fresh Rojo alongside the the fresh, uh, um, the, the black the mother. mole. Because then you have these two concentric circles and you can taste not all the same ingredients, but this mole that we make all the time in a new pot alongside this like inky black obsidian mole that we've been... That that pot has been going for years, years, yeah. and continually replenishing it without ever letting it fall beyond a certain point, and it's fucking brilliant. It's amazing. Granted, we can't do that in our homes. That's an extreme
1: lesson, but it's a lesson nonetheless, right? All we can do is take little little kernels that we learn along the way.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's always just crazy when you just see somebody doing something a totally different way anyway. I, I couldn't believe yeah. that when I lived in Italy, I feel like they didn't... We, We had to be at the base at 6 a.m., right? So there's no one out on the road in Vicenza, Italy, except for American soldiers at this time. And they came alive about 10 o'clock. For me, coming from where I'm coming from, the idea that nobody's up till 10 o'clock was crazy. I couldn't even understand it. We used to be like, (laughs) oh. But then after, like, when I first got there, but then after living there for a couple of years, then I was like, I get it. Like, why is everybody in a rush anyway? Like, why aren't y'all just chilling anyway? Plus, Like, right? They used to always be like, call us spring chickens because we ate uh, dinner at, like, 6 o'clock in the <laughs> evening. But we were like, look, we have to get up at, you know, nope. 5 o'clock in the morning. They didn't go to dinner until, like, 10 o'clock.
1: Dude, I'm telling you. Uh, she's gotten props on the show before, but um, Mafalda Ferrioli, who uh, is from Milano, she was the one that taught me. Like, no, you're, when you come over to my house for dinner... You're coming to my house for the night. Like mm. you're gonna come over here at six and maybe there's bread. Maybe. The one
0: slapping their knees.
1: There's yeah, <laughs> no, there's no there's none of that. <laughs> you do that and she will literally hit you with a spoon. Yeah. Like you don't get to leave. It's when she decides well, it's time for bed. Then you're just oh, it's time. Okay, I guess we're going. But yeah, she like she rolled out what the four hour dinner was like. And again, it took a couple times to get used to it because I was not. I was used to, like, you sit down and you eat as fast as you can so you can get back out to doing whatever you're Mm -hmm. supposed to be doing, Mm -hmm. and then you realize that the dinner is the point. And she changed how I cook. She changed how I see the world because she taught me that when you get there and you have that first glass of wine, just find somewhere comfy to sit, and I'm going to assault your nose for the next three hours with the most incredible smells, and then you'll slowly eat, and then eventually we'll sit down. And then when we finish... We'll have a little pour of something, mm-hmm. and then we'll probably have one more bottle of wine.
2: A limoncello. Yeah,
1: and then everybody gets a little it. sleepy. Sorono, a little and then, ah, all right, I should probably go to bed. I'm like, oh, I guess I'll be leaving, because I honestly could just roll up in this carpet right now. And- oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do we have here? Yeah. Okay, so the next one up, beautiful. What, could, 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 would that be? I'm trying to learn my colors better. Okay. I don't have a, a a Pantone knowledge like my partner Charles Watt here. Would that be mauve? Would that be crimson? Would that be yeah, burgundy? Call,
2: you know, this is a crimson kind of okay. uh, red situation. The call that blood in, red. That's blood red. Quiches in the in the green family. It's actually a nice. Deep Blue emerald, green, yeah, yeah, um, and then I would call that a deep turquoise, the black and gold, yeah, deep, turquoise, midnight, nice. midnight turquoise. Oh, that's Ooh. midnight
1: turquoise. That's a, that's a jam um, band that's playing at the 7th Street entry,
2: yeah. The tepasate. <laughs> this plant takes 26 years to grow before it's ready for mezcal. Oh, uh, 45% ABV here. This is a crowd favorite in Mexico. It, a lot of people like this here. The mezcal enthusiasts, uh, really go to this one the in most, me- I think. Uh, enthusiasts. It's very complex and robust. I would say uh, the flavor notes are cranberry, yogurt, and cake. Yogurt really speaking to the kind of creamy nature. Lactic is what some people say, but I always joke with people that I wasn't going to put lactic on a bottle. I don't know yeah. that the American consumer is that uh, red on on what that means. So yogurt is our stand-in. Yeah, mm. red fruit on the nose Yeah. Like- the dry. This is the cranberry, like the mm-hmm. dried cranberry, like plum,
1: Mm-hmm. heavily on the nose. It's silky. Like even the mouthfeel mm. on that is silky. That is it's creamy. What's the uh, alcohol
0: on this? Forty-five percent. Forty-five. Forty-five. Yep. Wow. This is. Yeah, that's very nice.
2: I thought that the forty-six through forty-eight, they have enough burn to where I think this one's just nice enough to where you get a little burn. You got a nice mouthfeel But you really taste the flavors Of what's going on Yep Kicks you off like a nice juice Versus when you get into 48, 49 You start to get so much burn That you're you're losing The ability to get that The fruity nature of That thing that's in here
1: nice It can also kill sweetness. some of the esters With the alcohol vapor too Absolutely. Where you don't get as, as big of a bouquet
0: Yeah, nice level of sweetness Yeah, for sure it's creamy So Sweetie. this
1: we
2: encourage people To put in uh, whiskey drinks So I'll usually I serve this In an old fashioned Or a Manhattan mm uh amazing Negroni. Casa Mezcal in uh New York City right now they make um, uh, Manhattan and old fashioned this type of saute and fernando's on their bartenders there amazing like how, see I'm not a mixology guy right that's like my only thing I'm very good at a lot of stuff but so I always am super impressed when I have great mixologists and bartenders. It's are just nice to know
1: it. there's a weak spot in your armor. Honestly, yeah, is, like, I don't, sure. I'm, I'm kind of well, enjoying the fact uh, that we found something you're not good at. Yeah, yeah, that's not my bag. <laughs> I, need, I need at least something. I'm like, okay, you, <laughs> yeah. at least I got this one. <laughs> no, I'm, a, I'm
2: not good at a lot of stuff. I just really stay in the stuff that I'm good at, though. Yeah, hey, rad. So that's why I get to get the accolades, right? It's like I just stay on the basketball court. Do it. Right? it. That's it. Try not to play cricket or anything else. <laughs> 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 Child, that so that
0: you? We've all had long-standing involvement in working with spirits, beer, THC, adjacent products. Uh, how has your relationship with uh, socializing at work events, air quotes, changed over the years? Have you always been able to behave at events, or was there sort of an evolution of that process?
2: So, that's an interesting question. Um, so, the first part of my career, I, I was in the Army, right? And I was in the Airborne community, the Ranger community, so... At that time, it was an all-male culture. We didn't have any women in, our, in this type of armed forces um, at the time. So, rowdiness uh, and alcohol, I think, were a fixture in our experiences. I've definitely gotten too sauce at a work event when I was in the Army before in my life, for sure. Yep. Um, definitely. Now that I'm older, um, I just was working at a law firm. Uh, You know, I mean, as I've spent more time in the alcohol industry, in this space, I think that right before we opened the brewery, probably 2019 for me, as I was going into law school, um, I was about 30. I just turned 30, I guess. Um, And I really had like a little meeting with myself. I had like a check in with Devin. I was like, hey, man, if you're going to be in this industry and you're going to sit here and be around alcohol all day, every day, like you've got to make sure that you're having an appropriate relationship With the substance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that having that honest, open, out loud conversation with myself, with like people around me about, you know, kind of being accountable about that. Because I think that, you know, in the spirits industry, it's, I mean, around, around all day, I got a hundred bottles in my house. Right. So if I want to, if it's my whole thing to do a kind of little sneaky nightcap, you know, here and there, blah, blah. So anyways, I think it's involved. I try to be more cognizant and aware of. Maybe the time and place that this isn't, uh, like, even, like, at tastings. Generally, I will drink at a tasting, but I'm not drinking until we're past the tasting portion. Like, right, once my whole spiel is done and we're down deeper into the after party, Mm -hmm. right, if we had an event from 6 to 11, maybe I'll have my first drink at 9.30, you know, when we're going into, like, I don't have to, you know, and that. And then I also try to do, like, a certain like maybe I'll do like one drink an hour because the other thing is people are always trying to buy me drinks yeah or like give me a drink, and I'm like, bro, what do you mean? Like, no, I'm okay, I already had my drink this hour. That's why I tell people, hey I already had my drink this hour. They're like, oh, okay, makes sense. But then people come at like 10 o'clock. Of course. And
1: they're like, hey. Setting alarms on their phones <laughs> yeah. and shit. Be like, oh, go get them. Mm-hmm.
2: So I just try to be more cognizant. When I was younger, I just liked drinking, right? And it wasn't even about like I wasn't trying to escape anything or it wasn't that way for me. I was more of a taste drinker. You know, I like the way this tastes. I've always loved, like, a great cocktail. And that's cool, but, you know, now I have some great experience that you can only have so many of those, right? The taste uh, has to have a limit. So definitely better for me.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've also evolved. Uh, I think we've talked about it on the show before. I have a stage in my drinking that we used to call Mayhem Ben. Mm. Where I love pranks, and I would try and set up really elaborate oh, shit. Man. And we had the opposite. Uh, my early twenties, uh, we opened a nightclub, and the oldest person in the entire building was thirty. So when we like once the doors were locked and everybody was gone, it was a fucking madhouse. And somehow nobody died, nobody really got arrested. Like we 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 made it. Um, but, I learned a lot of what not to do uh, in those in those moments. There were some really stupid fights and some noses that got broken, including my own, that were completely avoidable because mm. we didn 't understand intake. but I also always had this desire to try and figure out like what everybody 's deal was and I think my curiosity a lot of times pulled me out of like some of the most insane shit that went down when uh-huh. people would get fired, yeah because I was either trying to figure out like what the owner's deal was, or how do I understand more about like what the general manager does? And I also being a giant, I could consume more than most of the people around me and still be okay. Mm. So I would ride that line a lot, but I learned a trick from, uh, I don't remember if it was him or not, but I'm going to give him credit for it because I know that he does this. Uh, but there was a DJ that I, uh, that was very, he was very helpful in the very start of my career. And he had showed me that um, he used to drink, if I remember right, vodka sprites. And he just one day was like, I just started not getting vodka in it. And I would tell everybody it was a cocktail. I'd have him put a lemon on it. And then when somebody was like, oh, let me get you a drink. You're like, oh, I just got a new one. Yeah, Gibson style. Yeah, Gibson style. Literally where the Gibson cocktail comes from. That was what he would do. And that's actually how I got into drinking soda water Mm. uh, was I started doing that only I did vodka soda and then I would just drink soda water. And then Mm. it became a thing where I could just vacillate back and forth and nobody would ever know the difference. So you could, you could continue to seem like you were consuming with everybody Mm -hmm. and then it would flip. Now modern times with THC drinks, that's one of the things that I love the most is I just, I'll have a couple drinks, and then if it's possible at the bar, I switch to THC. I get a nice, light little buzz. Interesting. Go home, feel great. Now, we are the only place currently in the country, and I believe the world, where this is legal. So we have to grow that because currently you can only do this in the Twin Cities, but it's fucking amazing.
2: I tried a THC drink in, in Toronto for the first time. That's the only time I've ever, I've ever had one.
1: Yeah, no, I'm sending you home with some, so don't you worry okay, about that. Are amazing! Shout out to our sponsors, Plift. Plift Plift THC drinks, coming to you live from everywhere, but currently being served at bars and liquor stores right here in Minneapolis-St. Paul. That's right, we're amazing,
2: Twin Cities. Um,
1: yeah, but we're gonna we're gonna send that home with you. But that's a whole a whole side thing. But it really has helped because again, I've never seen anybody, and this is only anecdotal. I've never seen somebody get crazy out of pocket smoking weed, drinking weed, eating weed. I have seen most of my friends get mad out of pocket when consuming alcohol.
2: Super out of pocket, bro.
1: And then the the third level of it was I think I also lucked out because I am basically consistently monogamous through my life and I've kind of always been dating somebody. And the people that I always saw get into the worst shit were the people that were like going on the business trip and hoping to hook up, no which is way. Speaking to everybody, not just guys, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't go to the work trip hoping to hook up with somebody from work. Don't do it. Even if you think you'd be a great couple, there is so much extra shit that comes with hooking up with somebody that you work with, especially if it's not going to be a thing that stays. You know, if you're really in love and and you want to try a a shot at a relationship, that's a whole separate thing. Mm -hmm. But if you're you're going to the work trip hoping you're finally going to fuck so-and-so, boy, that's just the worst. My first
2: job was at Chick-fil-A when I was younger in Alabaster, Alabama. And my girlfriend in high school, she worked there with me. And that's, that's when I learned. So we got the jobs we were already dating, right? Yeah. Then we got the jobs because the new Chick-fil-A opened. but then I worked with her and I was like, That was the lesson for me at 16. I was like, I'm (laughs) never going to do this again in my life. This is absolutely 100% not the answer. There's so many ways that this goes wrong. Yeah. And so many ways (laughs) that like, I don't even want to be
1: involved. It's like, it literally, it's like, it's like pouring water on cobblestones. Like it goes in everything. Everything. It gets everywhere and there's no way to get it back.
2: Competitive competition.
1: Everybody else hating because they think something else is going on. Like the whole thing, it sucks. And no matter, no matter what. I will also promise you this. Drunk sex on a work trip will never live up to what you hope it did. No. <laughs> not fucking once. Your rhythms are going to be off. It's going to be weird. You don't know what to say when it's done. I'm just trying to help you guys out. It's just a... Just, uh. So if you learn you know, all those lessons... going not me when you say something. Of course. Of course. Everybody is the not me. Not me, buddy. Yeah. Not me. I had the best time. Yeah, your rhythm's <laughs> fucked up. You're fucking in 5-4. Get out of here. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> Sorry about about you. How's your evolution
2: been?
0: Yeah, so context is critical because the thing for me that was it wasn't a problem, and I carry myself well even when I've had a lot of alcohol. I think this, you know, this show is partly uh, credence to that. But I throw parties for my clients. It's a big part of what we do at Patmos. Is we conceptualize and activate um, festivals for like our brewery clients, uh, cidery clients everyone in those types of spaces so there was a time where like if I throw a real sick party I want to party right I'm like I threw the party that I wanted to throw of course I'm going to want to have a good time and I would kind of like start out drinking from the beginning and just kind of having a similar day to the other people there dependent of course on what my responsibilities are on the day but I usually also to this day I kind of format it so that I'm not day of coordinator i I conceptualized it and we did the creative work and the marketing and we activated the event. But on the day of the event, I'll be there and I'll be chilling and making sure that things are going according to plan. But that's like the extent of my work. I'll carry a camera around, shoot some video and photos. But I think I learned at a certain point that just cause I threw the party and it's a party I want to be at that I don't necessarily have to be partying from 1 a.m., or sorry, 1 p.m. to midnight um, to sort of like give it the uh, high level RPMs that it requires. Like it's almost, part of it's almost R&D. If someone came at the beginning and left at the end, what kind of day would they have had? I don't really feel like I need to prove that necessarily anymore. So I have times now where I go to events for clients where I spend just a portion of the day there. I have times where I stop by and tip my cap on occasion for clients that throw a lot of parties and I don't have deep involvement with each one, uh, I may not even come at all. And it's been a while since I've had an event where I'm there throughout experiencing everything that everybody's experiencing. I think I just learned at, at a point that I don't need that for myself and they don't need that from me to be that involved all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just had our event, at Nova, and that's interesting because I didn't even think about that when I conceptualized this topic, but because of how we're known for drinking and talking, there was an expectation for us to be consuming alcohol as we were meeting and greeting people, but it was pretty low-key until... The home stretch.
1: Yeah, you got <laughs> Charles <laughs> the, the anti so empowered for that. The the anti aircraft guns focused on Charles only. And you got do, peppered that last hour. He got peppered with so many drinks. It was over the the event
0: was over. Yeah. The event shot, was 11 to 3. That. and like it was like three forty five. And then I swear that everyone in the bar turned to me and asked me if I wanted a disco nap, a shot of Malore, uh spaghetti I was just getting I was getting bombarded and I even Adagio for strings started playing and I jumped in front of Quam when a glass of whiskey came his way because he had to drive. He didn't have nearly as yep. much as I did. And I was like, Nope, give it to me. And it was actually this uh bottle of Knob Creek single barrel at the very end. <laughs> it was like, it was like three and a half ounces yeah, in there. Yeah, they they, they,
1: they lobbed a softball of a two-ounce pour of 120-proof whiskey <laughs> yeah. at the end of the event when yeah. they knew we had to drive home. Yeah. Like, fuck
2: you guys. I have to be honest. A, a key fulcrum in my evolution had to be when I put the whiskey down, though.
1: Sure. I do have to just yeah. go on
2: record saying that, like, yep. I can trace a definitive experience change in my yeah. drinking <laughs> career and in my life career. Yeah. Uh, when I was like, you know what? I think it's that. I think maybe, I think maybe it's this yeah. liquid that is like, you know, a, a game changer. But I love whiskey, but I haven't, I haven't really had any whiskey in, in some time for hey, that reason. Understandable, like, okay, man. Yeah, a lot of craziness yeah. at twenty six.
1: Also, just to be like full disclosure it's been a good overall arc, but like I've had entire DJ sets that I blacked out and that's not a thing I'm saying as a brag. Uh, I've had like, I've made people cry that I say, I love you too. Like there's, you have, there's a learning spectrum of all that. The problem is that I've worked with one foot in entertainment and one foot in, in alcohol or THC my entire adult life. So there's not a lot of things that, don't involve both. both right. So you have to learn from those mistakes and then figure out how to do them less mm-hmm. and figure out how, you know, how to be smarter. So just, just so you know, I wasn't trying to take a high road. Uh, there, there are there are lots of landmines that I usually sweat about at about 11.30 when I'm trying to go to sleep. And then my mm-hmm. brain's like, hey, remember when you said this? I was
2: on a Mezcal tour boat. Situ- so first of all, I'm an army guy, not great at the boat situation, a little seasick. <laughs> so I went to this Mezcal festival on a boat uh in new york like two months ago and we were, my brand wasn't there so everybody was asking why we weren't there but i didn't know about it but anyways we'll be there next year anyways all i have to say was that was a day that took us back to you know 10 years ago Devin. it was it was not it was not the ha- it was not the prettiest situation yeah. but it was a great day though i had a great time you know there's a lot of delicious mezcal out there i was trying to be conservative and have my like quarter ounce little taster shots but those quarter ounces added uh-huh. up, man. You know what I'm saying? Over four hours on the boat, I was, you know.
1: It's tough when old you shows up because there's nobody that's less excited <laughs> exactly. to see you at the party than you. Yes. When you're like, oh fuck, that guy's here. Yes. Like, hundred uh, <laughs> percent. Uh, there's only one person who invited him, and shit, it's me. All right. Well, how do we mitigate this disaster?
2: Yeah, like best. That's, too late. <laughs> my best friend was with me soon. and I was like, hey. If I start getting drunk. Like, please don't let me talk shit. Right? <laughs> like, don't, let me tell, like, don't let me talk any shit about anybody. Like, also, All right, like, bro. they can stop you. Yeah, yeah. Like, please, like, <laughs> be like, hey, bro, like, shut up. Like, okay, okay. So, that's good.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> equal parts amazing and dangerous. There you go. Well, should we, are we? We got one more. Yeah, let's do we got that. One more through. On, let me do a little, little rinse.
2: Yeah, so the last expression that we have here is actually an ensemble. Ensamblés ensembles are, are pretty cool and pretty prevalent in Mexico right now. Uh, originally, ensembles started out with mescaleros would take kind of the leftover of each of the different agaves that they had uh, at the end of the Silvestre batches or the, the pure batches and then make ensembles out of them. Um, here we have an Espadine Tepesate Quiche Ensemble. So it's actually 60% Espadine. 20% quiche and 20% tabasate, So a mix of the three that we just had. Um, I think it does a great job of having uh, a bit of each um, all the way through. And I thought that this was a, a, a good, um, I added this to the lineup because I thought it was novel that I had, obviously the other three. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but also because I really do think that this one in cocktails is a really great option and really different uh, experience the sub out even for just a regular espadine. Sure, so, um, I'm glad to you know excited to hear what you guys think about this. And and for the ensembles, it's not to be confused with the blend. They go through their entire process together, so they're roasted together. The tepasate goes at the very bottom. Sure. of the, the the oven. Yep, they're huge, um, and very fibrous. So then the espadine goes second, and then the quiche is up top at the very, very top. So,
1: very far from the fire, ultimately.
2: They really get roasted just from the heat of being in the oven together. That's amazing. Like they at the top.
1: Also, Katie, that was the cutest way of, of charading large. <laughs> I literally looked at you and I was like, the field goal is good. And then I was like, <laughs> oh no, it's yes, it's, it's very large. big. I, I didn't know. Listen, let's go. I'm down.
2: Dave. Yeah, they're amazing. All um right. Cheers. Cheers. God damn it. Yep.
0: Mm. Oh. Uh, yeah. That, there's a lot of interesting qualities
1: that come that out that. That rolls backwards across your palate, and there's fun at every stop.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think we really start with the quiche. It's got a nice... Uh, I think you get the Tepesate mouthfeel on the back. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that's where the aftertaste right. is. Um, but, yeah, really well balanced. Some of the other uh, options that we had at the, the Palenque to kind of sort through was like but there was an, an Espadine Tepesate Tobala Ensemble. Mm. But I think that it's a little bit round for my taste versus this is like a really full-flavor experience. That one kind of like gets you in stops. This one I feel like has a very like roller coaster kind of ride feel. Long finish.
1: Yeah. And at the end of that, there's there's like a, a taffy candy from my childhood that, like, the very last little bit of sweetness is in there. And I cannot, I cannot for the life of me put my thumb on it. It's like a. I didn't get that. I'm going to look for it. It's like hearing a little bit of a song that you loved when you were a kid and you can't, <clears throat> you didn't hear enough to, like, get lyrics.
2: Is it the Green Apple Laffy Taffy? Because those are amazing.
1: They are amazing. Um, but no, this is, it's like a, like a, like a strawberry somewhere in there. I don't know.
0: Huh. It's at the, it the very
1: back of my palette.
0: Is it the watermelon, <laughs> Laffy Taffy? They had the little watermelon seeds in it. Remember those? Mm. Oh my God. The fake watermelon those, seeds? Those are good. Those, those are really are good. good as hell.
1: No, you know what it is? <laughs> it was, uh, do you I guys remember, do you guys remember Mambo's? Yeah, It was taffy okay. squares that yeah. had, like, one mm. flavor on the outside and a different one in there. Whatever the, like, I can't remember what the flavor blend was, but it was the one that I would always be like, I would take all those and put those in my pocket, and then the other ones my friends could have. Because mm-hmm. those, it's, it's it's my pocket taffy. Okay. okay.
0: Pocket taffy.
2: <laughs> yeah, the other thing that's beautiful Hold about on. these is that, you know, we have tw- over 20 expressions that Mom Escalero makes and. Uh, We really want to kind of start to cycle through some of these really, really delicious. We added a Coyote and a Tobala. I made bottles for and everything, but we decided just to come out with these four first. Um, But really excited to bring those to market. The Coyote is very interesting. Its flavor notes are uh, chipotle, cedar, and uh, ginger.
1: Let's go. Crazy.
2: Oh, my God. It's like a mezcal's mezcal mezcal. Damn it. Charles, let's just go. Yeah. We're buying tickets.
1: He's looking for tickets right now. There we go. Uh, All right. So given your life story, there's been a ton of travel involved. A lot of travel. Also, uh, especially I'm assuming during the Army, there was a lot of uh, travel that maybe wasn't focused on comfort. Sure. Um, And you could pick whatever method of transport that you want to talk about. What is your favorite part of travel and what is your least favorite part of travel? Because I think that this is one thing that Mm. many, many humans can agree on. That there are wonderful parts and there are terrible parts. But it's fascinating yep. to see what gets to people and what makes people, like, love it. That's interesting.
2: Um, so my favorite thing about travel is always being in the, in the, the place where we're at, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, going to the actual place. I'm not necessarily, I'm, like, really indifferent about the journey. So I'm one of those, like, super plain sleepers, put my headphones on, so that's not too so bad. So
1: jealous. Um, Shit. Yeah. God
2: damn that's it. That's another thing I can chalk up to my army career. Thank God for that. It's like learning how to sleep in any condition. So that's great. Um, so I think the worst part of traveling to me is probably the inconsistency of the world's mattresses.
1: Oh shit. Yeah. All right. Oh, like I like, oh, like if, yeah, I a, if, I a, if I can just keep it if I can just keep it if I can just keep it stacked with you. I
2: think like honestly. I'm not one of those super comfort, like, sleepers. Like, it's not that deep to me, but there are certain countries in this world where, like, I don't know, man, the mattress standards, we need to go to, like, their <laughs> FDA or whatever and be like, hey, this is not right. Yeah. This is not right. I spent a, a lot of time in uh, China when I, was, when I was in college. And, yeah, hit or miss, depending. obviously, depending on how much you're spending or what, what the quality of where you're at, but... I thought, you know, in Mexico, too, just different. They're just all different. And uh, I think that's very fascinating, uh, just the kind of different levels of understanding, even in the hospitality industry, right? Even if you go to, like, a Hilton here versus yep. somewhere else, the the somewhere else, different.
1: Different. Different. Different,
2: <laughs> different situation. Right. My favorite thing about traveling is um, really seeing – it really opens up my eyes – about how there's so many different ways to live. Sure. And just because you're living how you're living, um, that's fine. But that just always reminds me that, like, oh, man, you're just stuck in the experience that you're in, but there's so many other experiences that you could be having. So if you're not liking your experience, traveling is always a reminder that there's a whole other experience that you could be having. Like, if you don't like what's going on in New York City, like, you could go somewhere else, mm-hmm. right? You can go. And when you actually go to that place and see the, the rhythms of life that people are having or the different values, even in Oaxaca, coming from New York City, like, this, these places are night and day. And what I tell people about, you know, I like Mexico City. It's nice. But for me, I already have a city that I really love that's, like, bustling and all that. When I go to Oaxaca, man, it's like going to the farm for me you know, I'm out there with nature. I've got to yeah. like, you know, the sun rises over my balcony. Like, mm. you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's amazing. So it's a reminder that yes, in New York we're hustling and bustling and we're trying to make the brand roll and revenue and all this CEO stuff. But then I go to Oaxaca sometimes and I'm just sitting there with the Modelo and I'm like, it's not even that deep, man. Like I could truly not even pay for all that stuff that I'm paying for or stressing about in New York and just, Come here and live in my home here and just chill and like eat tacos and hang out with my friends and DJ. And so I think traveling is always just a kind of a reminder and a mirror about like my own choice of like the set of goods that I'm looking at. It's like, man, do I want to start going to dinner at 10 o'clock like my Italian friends or like Mm am I I got to do it the American way or I got to do it this way? And I think that's really, really like opened my eyes throughout the time uh, that I've been around.
1: Charles, where do you go on travel?
0: I'm going to call an audible because I was going to give, like, the simplistic answer of getting there and being there because the part, like, actual getting there part of travel, I don't struggle with it, but it's not my favorite. If I could just fucking teleport, I would. Oh, of course. But I'm going to pull an audible after your bad question because that's a great answer, and I got a fucked-up-ass neck, so I travel with, like, a travel-sized version of the pillow that works mm-hmm. best for my stupid neck. But what I'm gonna say is bathrooms. Bathrooms are wildly mm. inconsistent, mm. and it's very much a dice roll. You have no fucking idea what you're gonna get. Is it 100%. a curtain? Is it a sliding
1: door? Do you have to Shout stand out to the every woman everywhere party? who's ever been to a bar anywhere. I bet they're all nodding oh, their heads that's right
2: now. Be gross, yeah. Cause oh.
1: Yeah, I'm
0: talking to, I mean I'm talking about like the amenities in the hotel, like the formatting of the bathrooms. I'm just hotels.
1: saying literally everything that you just said yeah. is why my wife doesn't like to go to certain places and does like to go to other places. Sure.
0: I mean shit in Copenhagen we were going in a lot of bars on boats and I was like I was cranking my neck all the way down on this one bar boat to to use the the pee pee station. He and was I was like I'm glad Quam is not here with us tonight. Uh, because he literally could not get in here unless he doll <laughs> Like, there's no way he could get into this space. He would have to get haunched all the way down. Yeah. It wouldn't make sense biologically. But in Copenhagen, we stayed in this beautiful hotel. Sorry, were you about to say No, I was going to say, yeah. Was, no, I'm listening Are, to your story. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So we, we arrived to the, our beautiful hotel, Copenhagen Strand. And it's, like, right on across the street from the water. Real beautiful location. Uh, The room was great. The staff was fantastic. The bathroom was just fucking weird. So the worst part about it was, yeah, you have to step up to get into a bathtub. But for some reason, the step up was, like, three and a half feet. And the tub itself was clearly, like, super elevated and no curtain. Mm. They just had, like, a door They had a door that covers half of the tub. Yeah, the half door. I'm like, water is going everywhere. It's going to reflect off of my body. And then it makes you dread taking a shower because you know there's going to be water all over the floor Yes, and you got to wipe it up with the fucking one towel that's on the floor. That is really frustrating. The place in France was dope because it was like the. For all of our listeners out there
1: Charles did the The we're going to use the left foot to wipe circles with the towel which is the only way to clean up water off the ground just so everybody knows. I will fight to the ends of the world. (laughs) You do not use your hands. You use one foot for water with a towel. Sorry. I just wanted to make sure everybody everybody knew that. That. You got to do swipey foot. There's only the- wax on, not yeah. wax off.
0: Yeah. But then I'll say okay, I'm going to say the same answer for both because when we went to Paris, we had this bathroom format that was really interesting. It was the entryway was the sink mm. and then there was a room with the toilet in it that closed fully and was furthest away from the bed, which is great. Take notes. And then the next door over was the shower was like a closet. So you go in and you close the door behind you, and it had the three-tier, you know, oh rain shower Those from, are the best. from the top, and then the one you can pull off with the handle, oh, and then the direct one with all types of different settings. It was gold. amazing. It was,
2: it was beautiful in amazing. there. They had good soaps, like,
0: entirely different. Actually, entirely you say different.
2: say that. I went to Budapest one time mm-hmm. in 2014. Same thing. Uh, just otherworldly bathroom yeah. experience i was like this is amazing had like a rain shower like the full thing oh, the best it was it was amazing but it was strange because it flooded the floor it flooded the floor <laughs> and, the, yep. and i didn't understand uh, so yeah I, I didn't really get it but what i was going to say earlier was again bathrooms great china squatty potties like the first time i went to china i didn't understand why there wasn't like a toy again at like 20 or like 19 <laughs> I, I i couldn't even conceptualize sure that there was a world in which people went to the bathroom without sitting on a toilet. Mm-hmm. I like. Right. I, I had. I just. I remember opening up the the saw and being like, "I got to take got to. I got to take, take a number two. I got to take a shit. Like, where do I go? They're like, bro. Like right here. Like, what do you mean? I was like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. Foot drawing. Like, foot drawing. Like, hole how in do the you middle. Do it? it took me. I was there for like eight weeks. It took me at least a good month to get my like form down. To get my deep squat yeah. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? To get the mechanism oh, yeah? between, like, what, what hand needs to do, what I need to, you know? So that's amazing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's That shit's real. When I was 13 and we had a layover in Jordan, it was the same thing where I had to piss after we got off a flight. And then I went in the bathroom and it was just like some holes in the floor. Yeah. And I didn't understand. I thought like it was <laughs> under construction. And then a dude walked in and just started pissing in a hole. And I was like, You're oh, like, oh okay. okay. I guess I can. Try that. <laughs>
2: Makes me thankful for the amenities that, I, that I'm used to also. So, and the, or the things that yeah. I like anyway.
1: Uh, for me, I, this is more of a PSA, just a reminder to everybody. Whether we're in a car or a plane, just have a little bit of pity for your tall friends. Because basically, the world that I live in is 30% smaller than the world that you live in. If you're an average height nice. human, if you're five ten or if you're five five, like just imagine that everything that you sit down in is 30% smaller, and like that's where I live. And I hate it. I hate getting like last night at wrestling, I hated the fact that like the woman next to me very clearly was taking up one plus seats Mm. but then was mad that like my knee was going to touch her at certain points we were also in a
0: weird spot where like the chairs were wedged yeah we were right where the right where the section angles Mm. poor Charles
1: got stuck like knees together it was
2: yeah it ended up being fine because I was between my brother and Guam. I was like isn't that so awkward when you're trying to levitate next to somebody (laughs) so that that you don't touch them because you're like I don't really want to touch you but also I want to relax
1: but she was like (laughs) mad as fuck about it and I'm like Lady, you're 5'3", and 5'3 when you lay down. Like, I don't, I'm sorry, you're taking up more space (laughs) than I am. But, like, I don't know, every time my leg grazes yours, you're mad. Like, you have, realistically, you have so much more room around you, except where the seat handles were. But, like, you have so much more room around you, and you still are, like, mad that your weird little knee is, like, knocking into my thigh. I'm sorry. It sucks. They don't have a tall section. That that, that doesn't, that doesn't we work. We picked it. We, that's why we weren't on the floor. Yeah. Because at events, I prefer to be I,
0: – I learned my lesson a long time ago. I'd rather be sitting right by the octagon at a UFC, but those are the chairs that are bolted together. Correct. And yes. by bolted together, it means there's no space. No They're space. They're literally mm-hmm. bolted together. So it is a 100% crapshoot you're sitting next to. Mm -hmm. I'm about as big as anyone should ever be sitting in one of those chairs, but I have to actually sit next to someone who's smaller than me or Mm -hmm. else it won't work.
2: Mm -hmm. It's like I refuse to go to Madison Square Garden basically because the distance between the seats is like one of the worst experiences of my life. And if somebody has to get up and there's like 20 20 seats a row, if you're like seat 13, you're about to have the worst experience of your
1: life. Uh, The Forum in L.A., same thing. Yeah, awful. Built in the seventies. It it was absolutely that was the only thing I hated about that uh, Taylor Hawkins tribute was how awful. Like I'm glad everybody stood the whole time. I would rather stand for six hours and seven minutes then sit down and have my knees have to fit into the scallop creases. Right. And that's basically how we build planes now. So where, oh, it, it's getting worse. Yeah, then. they were like, oh, what what's like the worst theater from the 1800s? Let's make all of our plane seats like yeah. that. And then make, make people sit in them for eight hours. But we Efficiency. selected
0: the seats in the, the risers. We picked mm-hmm. like the actual level, not the floor. Yep. Because we prefer to sit in like normal seats that at least have, you know, a four inch wide arm with the cup holders as opposed to the seats that
1: are bolted together.
0: But still, I mean,
1: it's 20 20 percent of her was taken over that, that, that gap. So, again, I just just have a little bit of pity or empathy or whatever you want to call it for. Tall folks, same mm-hmm. thing in your car. Don't make all the jokes about like, well, oh, you can't even fit in the front seat. Look, I get it, but I can't retract my knees.
2: So that's, so the, worst, that's the worst part. That's the worst traveler.
1: part of traveling. Like,
2: mm-hmm. is like just being in a world that's thirty percent too small. To know yeah, that sure. I, I have
1: friends that I can't go on a road trip with unless I drive separately.
2: It's like Ant Man but Beetle Man. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like I'm like Rhino Man. Like, it just doesn't, I'm just, I'm too, like, I have friends whose car is, like, if I sit in the front seat, my own mother's car, if I put the seat all the way back and I sit in the front seat, my, both, my ACLs are on her glove box. And there is a little portion of me every single time that's like, if that airbag goes off, I can't walk again. And I hate that. I hate even having to think about that while I'm, like, going somewhere. That sucks. Flip side is, the best part, the best part. Okay. Is walking out of whatever transportation I took <laughs> yeah. and just getting those big ass yeah. steps and like yeah. walking same 30% well, yeah. faster than yeah. everybody, and then just being like, Here we go. And then that first smell you get you're doing those ribbon jumps, yes, exactly. Like jumps? Yeah, like just, I got <laughs> yeah. my streamers in my back leap. pocket, uh, but then it's when you walk outside, like wherever you are, yeah. the first breath of fresh air that you get. It's air. It Kind of all smells the same, especially if you're flying city to city. Yeah, but it's Sometimes different not, though, because it's different air, and it's, you it get, feels different. Yep, it yeah. feels different. The air feels different. It doesn't. Like, I don't. I don't care if it's more humid, less humid, I'm hotter, colder. What I'm somewhere else, and my body inside knows it instantly. And yeah. that is like I close my eyes. I just do the. Oh, there we go. I love this airport too. Yeah,
2: like when I the last time I was in the Philippines, it was in a Christmas time period. And we got there, and from the moment we got off the plane, people were like singing Christmas carols all the way through the whole airport. Like, Wow. the Philippines is a wild place. I need they to go. They sing so much there; it was amazing. I love music, and like, See? No like from the moment I got there, somebody was like, "And we wish you a merry." <laughs> as soon as I got, it was crazy the <laughs> whole time through. That's so How crazy. would they
0: react if I said, "Not now"? <laughs>
2: They would be, they would be, they would smile at you and be yes. like, they give you like the look of like. They, they just keep going. They're going to smile like like, they're going to look at you like, nah, yeah. that's not cool, bro. But okay, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Jesus loves you. Yeah. For sure they're going to hit you with that. Yeah. The they would God surround bless. me, just start singing. Yeah, they directly. might, they I might I be mean. like, okay, joy to the world for this guy. On three, one, two,
0: three. I'd turn into the Grinch real quick. Shit. Yeah. All right. Hey, cheers. Yeah. I love cheers. the Grinch though. That's a classic.
2: Hell yeah!
1: Here is the travel, the good parts at least. God damn it! That is okay. Okay, can so I, can I do one more pour of that? Yeah, I was gonna say what's y'all's,
2: of- y'all's favorite so far. We now we've gone through the four. I'm gonna say the I'm gonna say the quiche. Quiche, okay. I uh, but I, I, I it's got a lot of fan favorites. Pull a
0: lot of stuff out of these that I like. Also, you told me this story about the quiche uh, in Mexico
2: not really selling because they were like, "Give us the booze." Yeah, so, so we just
0: overly impressed, like, dude, this is really great.
2: Yeah, I mean, that just goes to show you some of the cultural differences in yes. these things, right? And where my job, I think, for, for me, like, I love mezcal, but that's not really why I got in the business, right? I'm in the business, and I'm about trying to curate a great experience. So for me, I got into the mezcal because I, I met so many people who had such an adverse opinion about the spirit. Then when I learned a totally different level of it, so much different. some So all the nuances, I realized, like, man, you just become almost like an evangelist for it, where you're just like, man, no, it's not all bad, right? It's not all smoky tequila. It's none of that. There's certainly a whole wide world for you to to, to kind of get to. And so for me, yeah, I just love the, the, the different expressions. And but I did 41%. Like I said, for the quiche, I was thinking about America when I did that. Right, I was definitely thinking about the American palate of, like, I want to deliver them something like nice, soft, and tasty.
0: Yes. Sure.
2: But I think it's pretty tasty, period. So it was very fascinating that we had the fair, the the Oaxacan Mezcal fair. Huge, like, think of, like, Tales of the Cocktail, but in Oaxaca for Mezcal. So we had a booth there. We did very well. We was very excited about that. But um, we only sold, we sold, like, almost 200 bottles, and we only sold three bottles of that quiche. In Mexico, because at 41%, they just were like, Yeah, that's Um, stark. But what's interesting (laughs) is that we sold a bunch of our Variety Pack boxes. So we have Variety Pack boxes that come with 200-milliliter bottles of the Tepesate, the Quiche, and the Ensemble, which is a great gifter or, like, kind of great intro to the brand if you want to take a look. We sold a lot of those, so we sold Quiche through that, Mm. but none of the big bottles. But they love the Tepesate. So, yeah, again, cultural differences, but I'm glad that we had something for everybody.
1: I have to hijack this for two questions. What's up? Number one, <clears throat> how, how old are you? I'm 34. 34, okay. And number two, what genre of music did you DJ, or do you DJ?
2: Oh, um, I do open format. Of course, every DJ is going to say that. Um, I do two styles, though, I'll say. One is I play like a lot of house music that's mm-hmm. infused with hip-hop, um, mainly because I think a lot of uh, house tracks are really nice. Fuck yeah. But they can be kind of boring sometimes. And so, in a party, like, again, I live in New York City, so... Also, their
1: origins are forever intertwined. Forever intertwined,
2: right. So, like... To me, immediately, when I... I never listened to any house music until 2021. Mm. I started DJing with my best friend. We were in Mexico. I, I am so
1: handy. jealous of your experience starting... That, uh, sorry, I should sorry. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I, mean I, was, oh I, didn't, I mean, I guess I liked it, but I, I didn't just really... got, like, heady buzz from that. That's amazing.
2: But I'm a weird genre guy, because I, I am, like, kind of with the spirits, too, where it's just like, listen, you know, drink what you like, you know? I don't know if we have to be all like this. But anyway, so when I started to look at, listen to a lot of the house, you got these seven-minute, eight-minute songs... I understand the transition and the nuance and the production, but still I felt like in the highs there leaves some, you know. If you're if you're not accustomed to it, you can get kind of bored. Mm-hmm. So my first style I would say is like really house music infused with more sing-along, more mm-hmm. this type of thing is like the goal, right? So if you don't know house music, you can get to the rhythm, but then I'm giving you something that you can repeat or sing along Channel to. along with. Yeah, yeah, you know, and actually, I really learned that. I went to EDC in 2021 after I've been playing professionally for about six six months. And then I went and listened to, like, Martin Garrix, all these guys. And every 15 minutes, no matter what genre of, like, EDM that they were playing, they made sure to circle back to some popular music, right? They might be doing some dubstep, and then all of a sudden, it's like... I'm on the pursuit of happiness, and I know, and like nope. you know, and then I was like, oh, that's 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 really novel. Like I understand that, and so kind of waving that my style that I started in though is more like a lot of um, hip hop and R and B, like a lot of edits, SoundCloud music, a lot of different See, things like that. I was
1: hoping you were you were gonna get more there because that's that's where we just got to go with the soft, mild, and tasty. That's a, that's a R&B night with a little bit of hip-hop that's in there. Like, I, again, as a kid who DJed for 20 years and grew up in the 90s, like, that's what I, I want to create again is to have yes. that vibe. Everything that you just described that mess with, I'm like, oh, we could curate a whole yeah. night around that. Like, let's fucking mm. go.
2: I had a mix that went pretty viral during the pandemic, which is, like, kind of my first cue that, like, okay, like, maybe this is okay. Um and yeah, it's very much that vibe very like but but nice pacing, right? So more like ninety five to hundred and ten
1: uh
2: kind of mid stuff. So I I love music though. That's like, man, like you talk about stuff that I'm not good at. I'm still just always trying to get better at that. I'm a big believer in the, you know, kind of Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hour rule, but I like to switch it, like I said, and think about the individual building blocks. So if I need ten thousand hours, where am I right now? And I think in my DJ career I'm like 5,300, 5,600 hours. We got some work to be, like, super nice with it. But, you know, <laughs> if you need a party rocked or a wedding I, or something, I got y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I don't want to hijack this anymore. When I, when I found out right before the show that you were a DJ, I, I was almost going to change a question because I wanted to do this, but we can nerd out after the show. And you then, just
0: Mel Gibson this.
1: I don't want to hijack your car,
0: but.
2: You, Charles, it's more. You? <laughs>
0: I need to commandeer this. So
2: I, yeah, I'll take some
1: I think we need to come back to, to the questions. <laughs> But, God damn it. All right, we have so much to talk about. <laughs> I, I'm i fascinated by the fact, like, I the group of people that I, I DJed with, like, we are all in our early to mid-40s. And so hearing people getting excited about it now just makes me so happy. Because there's, God, there's so much out there.
2: Oh, there's so much out there. And that's, like, the coolest part about it. Like, for me, though, I've always, I started, everything for me is always a slow burn, right? So I was... My very first mix was on the iPhone back in 2011 when I was in, like, uh, not basic training, but right after basic training and another thing. So, bored in the barracks. I made, like, this mix called That's iPhone Love fucking Story. That's a great name. That was really cl- fun. And uh, then when I moved to Italy, started getting back into it a little bit more. That's when I started, like, being around the EDM a bit more, but still wasn't really very into it. And then uh, 2019, when I went to law school, I was like, okay. Here we go. I can't really... I've got to... I can't really drink and think. <laughs> Right, so that's where I was like, okay, I need to find like another hobby besides going out on Broadway in Nashville. Yep. So now I was like, okay, I'm. This is when I'm going to get serious yeah. about DJing. That's when I was like, I'm going to get serious. Silly. And and it's really amazing because I have a couple of mixes that are like, I have a mix called The Beginning, and yeah, man, I listened to it
1: the other day. I'm like, man, this is so bad. <laughs> oh, it was like a it was
2: good song selection, right? I I, I still but sweat DJing. I
1: still sweat thinking about some of my missed transitions over the years. Like oh, that's man. that's it. it. That it's that and weird things that I said to people. Whilst drunk in my twenties, like that's a lot of, yeah, what a lot my, of my shame. But anyway, I, Charles, I'm going to keep doing this unless you cut me off. So go, 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 go. Cut off. There it is. All right. Topic number five.
0: Devin, what is a surprising ingredient in food or beverage that always seems to pique your interest when you see it on a menu?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. If you want to think about it for a second, like we can answer two and then yeah, yeah, come back I'll to think you. About it, I'll okay. Think about it. <clears throat> I, I have realized, Charles, that uh, it's probably gotten more ratcheted up since the first time that you gave me your uh, homemade curry powder. Mm. But whenever curry is involved in a dish that mm. I don't expect curry to be involved in, yeah. I will almost always order it. Yeah. Um, the, the richness of the spice blend, if you're somewhere, I, I should put the qualifier on that, if I'm somewhere where I think they're making it from scratch. Yeah. if I'm somewhere where this is all like scratch cooking, right, right, that will be the thing that will hook me faster than anything else on the menu. If I read, especially if it's like, if the rest of the ingredients I wouldn't expect to be in that and it's not like butter chicken or tikka masala, something that Americanized restaurants sort of do outside of Indian restaurants. Sure. If curry is involved in it, including if it's a cocktail, I will almost always order it. I love the idea of the, the depth of warmth paired with the sweetness, mm. paired with the lingering flavor that runs through the entire dish, even though it mm. doesn't have to be the star. Similarly,
0: it's something that feels like curative. Yeah. When you have it, it feels like soothing. Like this
1: is, mm. I'm supposed to be eating this. Mm. And I wanted to answer it this way because I wanted to tell you that it was your homemade curry powder that really kind of let me understand that that's what it was I was looking for. Thank you. And so that's like nice. then I started using that in other recipes where I'd throw in a teaspoon or a tablespoon. Yeah. And watching what that does to things that I've cooked for years. Yeah. It really it reminded me how much more like I basically built a foundation and I'm like, that's a house and I'm good. But there's so much more to build. There's so many other things that you can right. do. That's and interesting, sometimes that's
0: the interesting roommate. You know, yeah. That's exactly. Eccentric roommate in the basement. That's actually, and we, this is ancient now. We're 90 something episodes in, but a way, way long time ago, I talked about my old friend Carrie and how her secret ingredient in a lot of just ordinary dishes was just like a teaspoon of good curry powder. Yep. So, and that's in, you know, nothing crazy, but like we, when I talk. It, a creamy like mushroom uh, chicken wild rice soup, chicken wild yep. rice soup with mushrooms and stuff. She just throw a little bit of curry in there, and you'd be like, "What the fuck?" is There's something in mm-hmm. there. It's a lot of somethings, but it's in the form of this powder that's constituted.
1: And you know what? It really brought it around to me. I remember that discussion, and I've I still do that every now and then. Sometimes I just want like what tastes like when I was a kid going to that restaurant that used to be at Dayton's, but like. what really got me there was um, actual straight-up matzo ball soup, like making traditional from scratch matzo ball soup, throwing a teaspoon or a tablespoon, depending on who's eating it, in the broth and letting that that simmer. And then I already throw toasted onion powder and roasted garlic powder into the matzo mix. So then doing a teaspoon of curry into that, it adds this extra layer of depth. It still tastes like chicken soup with matzo ball. But it adds this interesting layer that just gets me. And now after doing that enough, now it's just become like if that's on a menu, especially if it's in a place that I wouldn't expect it, it Yep, you're going in me. Mm. Did that uh
2: I'm a texture I'm a texture guy. Ooh, yeah. So I think that, you know, even more than flavors, if I see on a menu that I believe that there's gonna be, you know, three or more kind of con like contrasting layer type of situation, so I'm thinking of, like, even, uh, I'm a sucker for all the soft bread sandwiches, you know, like, Ooh, yeah. you know, obviously, like, even all of that, like, I'm a, sandwich, I'm a sandwich fiend, me and my brother been working on a food truck, like, busting mm. truck, it's like a food, it's like a, <laughs> crazy, so, like, for example, I make a burger, that, the burger is more like a kind of meatball based, right, onions in it, a little more breadcrumbs, like, right, But we make it on a baguette. With it, but we make the garlic toast, so garlic butter, toast the, the buns, and then take the burger with melted mozzarella and a nice marinara, and, like, the crunch versus the meatball with the garlic, mm-hmm. with the marinara, with the mozzarella mm-hmm. is mm-hmm, just mm-hmm, crazy. Mm-hmm. That's like exactly what you you didn't know that that's what you wanted in that format, but that's that's exactly what the fuck you wanted. So like, whenever I see somebody doing something like that on the menu, where I'm like, oh man, I know like exactly what you're thinking. Yeah, that's gonna be like a crunch Mm -hmm. to a soft to like the pickle crunch, which is different than like the bread crunch. So you're getting a nice bite there. Yeah, Even like Al Pastor a, Tacos. I'm with you. I love that for that reason, right? Because what I noticed over time is like, yeah, so if it's really nice. The Pastor has done well, right? It's drier. It's a drier kind of shawarma kind of feel. But then the fruit, totally different situation. Yep. The softness of the tortilla or or you know, crunchy the crunchiness of the tortilla. You know, so yep. that that's what I live for is really yeah. looking at how the chef is – Dealing with the textures of how they're deciding, right? They could have sauteed these onions, but instead they made them crisp red onions. And I that's going to give me this, you know, that perfect crunch in every bite. That's what I love. Mm.
1: Hell yeah. What's your what's your hook ingredient?
0: Just, there's so many ways I could go at this that I kind of wanted to play off you guys. Because, like, if I see eggplant, I, sure. want, I want it. If I see miso, I want it. If I see, you know, bay leaf, especially prominently yeah. displayed. Yeah. Cocktails now, especially now that I've had a lot of great cocktails that have the bay leaf element in it, I I want that. Thing. I'm with
1: you on the eggplant, except it's a lot harder for me to trust restaurants because there's so many places that you just end up with like a pile of slime. Sometimes, like I have depends. to. Yeah,
0: that is true. In some part, I mean, it, it can do that
1: to some degree. Everything depends on where you are.
0: Yeah, right? that's like, true. I just feel like I've had more. I've had more bad
1: because eggplant gets yeah. to be the star a lot. And sure. I feel like it, th- there's a there's a higher level of of failure, but sorry. Absolutely, no, I, that's that's true, but yeah.
2: But that's the intrigue, though. I think sometimes with with an ingredient like that, when you see eggplant, you want to know whether or not if this chef is you know bold <laughs> enough to put it on his on his menu or his or her menu, knowing yeah. that it could be slime. Then I'm like.
1: Literally, like, does this fuck or does this suck? Do you tell me? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, okay,
2: this is a bold character. You know what I mean? Okay. Slap or crap. I'm going to meet you there. I get that.
0: But if I'm, for instance, at, uh, you know, we have a a local restaurant here called Colita that does, like, really nice Mexican food, Argentinian-Mexican food. Nice. But if they do, if they say, we have an eggplant taco. Oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I want to see what Daniel Del Prado did with an eggplant taco. That's a good example of yes. There are some places where the example would be no, but also if it's like Middle Eastern Mediterranean, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. get it. I know they they know what they're doing because I'm Middle Eastern Mediterranean. But I think the answer for Wait, me what? is based. Uh, I'm gonna play off of what's that? I said what?
1: Huh? There's sweat.
2: a place nearby me called Yasu Vlaki. Sorry, just mm. roll yeah, the let's, iron. let's get it. They have a Kefka, kefta, Kefka. kefta,
1: like kefta. kefta. Up, yeah,
2: mm-hmm. Giro, The with the with the. French fry, like, man. Talk about textures, talk about layers, talk about flair, oh, flavors. Let's go. Amazing. It's hard to go wrong there. A brief but side, check them out.
0: Playing off your remark about the curry, for me, oh. I, when I was, okay, when I was in my 20s and my mom would prepare rizajj, which aforementioned is chicken and rice, it's, honestly, you take a whole chicken and you boil it and create like a quick stock, just literally salt, pepper. You pull the chicken out, you chop it up, and then you cook rice in that stock, and then the chicken and rice are served together, and then you fry pine nuts and almonds, like almost to the point of burning. You crumble that over the top, and then you sprinkle it with this seasoning, Mm -hmm. this spice. And Lebanese people call it sweet pepper. And for years when I traveled to Lebanon, I would bring back... Sweet pepper, not knowing what I later found out in life is actually motherfucking allspice. <laughs>
2: it's allspice. Oh, that's hilarious. Sweet
0: pepper is allspice. And it. I instantly made this, like, connection, two wires connecting in my brain about why I love... Jerk. What it is, uh, and jerk chicken. <sighs> yep. And, like, I do, like, crazy legit jerk, like, all the steps. When we're talking about sauces taking a long time and all that stuff, when I make jerk, I, like, really go for it. And... I go heavy on the allspice. It's about the only thing about Charlie's jerk that my buddy Chris gave me his recipe originally is about about the only modification I made was more allspice because I fucking love that characteristic. But if I see that allspice is in something, it's one of those baking spices that covers so many bases as just a singular spice.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It
0: makes you feel warm. It almost like makes you feel cool. Mm-hmm. It's like got like, a layer of sweetness but it's still somehow savory so you can apply it to a cocktail that leans sweet or a meat protein dish mm-hmm. that leans heavily savory and if I see someone notate on a menu item whether that be a cocktail or a dish that allspice like they call out allspice that's always gonna do the uh, solid snake Metal Gear Solid ring Exclamation mark over my head! I'm gonna want to see what's up. So that would be my selection for today. Allspice.
2: Fuck
1: yeah! All sweet pepper. Allspice,
2: curry powder.
1: Yep. Damn. And I'm textures. Crazy. Yeah, textures. No, but sure. that's real. Like you, I, I didn't really think about that. I was, I was thinking about ingredients, but 100. Like there are things that I order specifically and things I won't order because I, I either really like the idea of those textures or I don't. And if it's like crunch on crunch on crunch, and I feel like I'm just gonna be like powdery-ass mm-hmm. lips and dry. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to eat roof that. of my mouth
2: is going to get killed. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's going to be looking like fucking like Spanish moss hanging from the top of my mm-hmm. mouth. Uh-uh. Like, my buddy used to eat Captain Crunch dry when he would get high. That's and I'm crazy. like, bro, you are committing, like, a Man, full-on war crime against the roof of your mouth.
2: Yeah, that's tough. Like, and then oof. when the roof of your mouth gets, gets like, skint up, it's, it's tough to recover. Yeah, it that.
1: just sucks. Like, enjoying food for the next day or two sucks. And I'm not trying to, I ain't trying to not enjoy a meal, if you know what I'm saying. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I think for my food journey, again, I'm just, like, such an open book about all these things. I'm just so amazed all the time. When I went to Oaxaca... And I had never heard of mole before. I was like, what is this? And yeah. then, I, started, and then wow. I had each of the moles. So you got to discover it. With Man, fresh I, I was, I'm,
1: again, so jealous of I that. I was like
2: a kid in a candy store, I'm telling you. like yeah. I've been traveling around my whole life. believe that. Actually, I tell people all the time, the other place I really loved in my life that was like this was Florence. Oh, absolutely. Florence, Italy was like this. And so I think mm-hmm. Oaxaca is like the Florence of Mexico is what I tell people who haven't been. I'm like, yeah, it's like the same vibe. Super great foods, a lot of history, a lot of culture. Um, amazing.
1: Unless you tell me that you want to switch up, I'm not. I'm not not offering you Knob Creek. I just wasn't given. We talked about whiskey. I didn't want to push not it your not way. Not
2: offering you Knob. No, I'm gonna. I'm gonna hang out. Yeah. I'm gonna drink some more Malamia <laughs> yeah. Mescal. And again, follow us at at Mezcal.
1: Boom. And we'll uh, we'll wrap. The, all right. So we got one. We got one question left. So um, you know, I I wrote this question before it. I had talked. Yeah. all right, I wrote this question before I talked to you, Devin, and now I kind of want to rewrite it on the fly. So Charles, if you will allow me to switch it up. Get it. So originally what the question was is all three of us, four of us in this room, um, have done incredibly well with small businesses and building brands and all that. And if you want to keep it to that, that's great. But one of the things that I've truly fallen in love with about this podcast is we get to know... The humans like, yes, this is all sort of sort of work related and we're drinking your work as we do this. But it's also about who you are as a human. And I want to kind of open it up a little bit more. Like, is there anything, whether this is you talking to yourself when you were younger or you talking to somebody else out there who might hear this and look at you as somebody to look up to and try and emulate is there any advice that, that you would give or knowledge that you would love to share right now as to how, how to figure out how to take that next step? Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Like, it does. I know on a small business sense, you can be like, how do you share that magic? But, like, no, yeah, maybe I, just I in, in life, you know?
2: Yeah, I've got a couple of things. Um, the first thing that I like to talk to people about is when you're talking about you want to do something, like, let's just, like, couch out. Like, we're trying to accomplish something. It's really important to, to be brave and really to say what your outcome is, right? So, like, I have a philosophy called Build a Bridge. I'm working on, like, a, a book right now, but probably next year. Um, and the Build a Bridge philosophy is all about this. It's like, okay, in your future, you can choose an outcome, a destination, some type of thing that you're trying to do. Let's say two weeks, two months, whatever, however long your bridge you know, building capability is. If you're new to this, I tell people to do two weeks, right? So let's just say for the next two weeks, I want to do X, Y, Z behavior. Each day, you have the ability to lay a plank down between where you are right now and where you're trying to get to in this desired outcome. Um, and this is true, like, for the brand. Uh, as I was talking about, you know, a couple years ago, my whole thing was like, hey, I know that we're going to have a brand. It's gonna be on the shelves. So every day I'm gonna do what I can do to create this future outcome for myself that's not here now. I don't, even, I don't even really understand how to do it. I just know exactly what I can do today to take me closer to that outcome yeah. than I am today, right? So I talk to people all the time. It's like, it's not about a right or wrong answer. It's about, is this bringing me closer to my desired outcome or further from my desired outcome? Mm-hmm. But what that makes you have to do is to, to go ahead and be brave and say, like, hey, I want to have this thing done in this timeline. It's okay. We can move it later. We can do whatever. But what that's going to allow you to do is start to have the courage to say, okay, well, the first, very, the most accessible, attainable thing that I can do today towards that effort is this. And then tomorrow, it's that. The next day, it's that. Before you know it, you have a long bridge behind you of all the different things that you've done because you've been putting those planks down in front of you every single day. Before you know it, you get to your outcome – it's right there. You're like, man, that's crazy. It's not crazy, though, Mm-mm. because we can track all exactly. those planks. Yep. And the reason I like to conceptualize it this way is because if you didn't do anything to bring you closer today, then you're just on the same plank. You're not backwards, but you didn't move. It's still going to require that next plank forward for, for, for you to get closer to that, that outcome. So it's a love easy thing to never be discouraged about because it's an easy asthma check with yourself every day. Devin, did you do what you needed to do today to take you further or being closer to your outcome, or are we staying in the same spot? Some days we stay in the same spot, man. That's just the truth of it. But often I try to start my day with, like, hey, this is what I think is going to move the needle for us today. Like, even I'm out here, I'm like, hey, you know what? That's a great opportunity. I listen to this podcast. It's amazing. Like, yeah, I'll go to Minneapolis. Let's go. That sounds good. That sounds great. There we go. Lay the planks down. Relationships, meet new people, get into a new market. It's all good, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes people spend so much time thinking about the right answer the right again like back to what at the beginning of the podcast I mm. was talking about you know the school thing about the right like listen there's not a right answer man you're you're creating a future that doesn't exist
1: more jazz snaps
2: you know what i mean so like you're you're creating a future that doesn't exist and so all it requires from you is to do that so that's like the first thing the second thing that i would say is that it's okay that you don't know but you're going to have to know
1: i'm going to hit genie sprinkles on that i oh, just say we haven't had a sound that's Oh, we have. Don't worry Sorry. about me. I've been oh, no. okay. I have been had to So, it.
2: Right. So, <laughs> you don't have to know when you start. That's yeah. okay. But the knowledge of what you need to take you from you know, where you are, you're going to need to learn. And so, there's a lot of humility in accepting that I am where I am today. I want to be over there tomorrow. And that means that since I can readily recognize that I'm here now and that place is somewhere else, then you can recognize that there's a deficit between what you got going on. Yep. And that's great. That means that that's so easy now for us to go get what we want because we've accepted that like, hey, I don't know right now, but I can know, and I'm willing to know, and I want to know, and I'll do the work to know. So if you can do those things, then you can get whatever you want in this world because ultimately all it is is that you just got to turn those question marks. It's like Vanna White. Mm Got to turn those blank tiles into something that you can understand, and Mm -hmm. the more that you... You know, turn the tiles, the more that the world, the, the word mm-hmm. or whatever that you're trying to make is in front of you. So don't just dis- get discouraged. Pick an outcome, even if it's something very small in the beginning, and teach yourself how to build up, to lay the planks between where you are and that outcome. And that's the best advice I can Damn. give to anybody.
1: Yes, 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 yes.
0: It's interesting because it's almost like my point of view flies in the face of yours, but it actually agrees. It just does it in a, in a really, uh, Subtle way, I think, especially if you're adept at what you do, and uh, there's a demand for your product or service. And we've said on the show, like one of my one of my notions in business is uh, dare to fail, not dare to succeed. Dare to fail. Like sure. at some point, you have to be prepared to meet a grisly death because you're trying something that is worth risking, but. What I would tell somebody, for instance, someone in my chosen field, of which I have several, but my like chosen, chosen vocation, uh, creative work is if you know you're good at what you do and people know that you're good at what you do, be deliberate, slow down. And that doesn't mean to stop moving, but it means that you can walk, you don't have to run. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Like make deliberate choices, look at what the next step is that you're going to take. But Absolutely. Perpetual motion is important. You have to keep moving forward. It's just determining in what way you're going to accomplish what it is that you're going to accomplish next. Because sure. that's not always an association with a potential um, business partner or uh, launching a new product. It could just be something that you're doing for the business itself, like working on the website or um, curating your Google AdWords or doing uh, adding more attention to your um, Uh, generation of content or creating more social media content things like that but just the idea that uh, sometimes I think that if you're more deliberate or you choose to make smarter choices instead of just rushing toward the goal you're going to end up with what you envisioned from the start instead of kind of forcing yourself to have cancerous growth like let's as a, instead of like running to your goal, if you can take the time to consider what it is that you seek to do and also not to have a sense of desperation when it comes to especially business sure. to business clients. There's something to be said for if you're constantly knocking on the door, they're going to be a little worried that you got nowhere else to go. Sure. they going to be like, why yeah. is this guy banging on our door? There are claw marks yeah. out there. He's got nowhere <laughs> else to be. I think it was um, the bathroom that's palpable pushes. that's a real thing. I've conversations with um peers and and colleagues and um employees or even like loved ones about when you're building a relationship with a prospective new partner uh you don't have to open and close the account like the day you meet them. It doesn't have to be like we're finally at the table, let's get it. If you if you exude that, they're going to leave. Sure. Like this is, there's, there's something to be said for that, that you need to be deliberate, take your time, think about it, you know, digest a little bit. Lean back in your chair, like the four-hour dinner, right? Appetizers down, sip it on some wine. Be in Think it. about it, let it okay. digest. And I'm not saying that it's universal, that everybody needs to slow down, but I'm saying that not moving and running Are the two, it's like the burner we were talking about earlier where people don't want to wait eight hours for their meal to be ready. And it made me think Amaral Agassi, you know, use your knob, you got one of these, right? He used to always say that on his show, but it's very much the idea that like you can move steadily and you can move briskly if you need to. Because that's the other thing, the dynamics of your business may require you to move more briskly. But you don't have to fucking run. If you do, you may have formatted your your business proposition a little bit incorrectly. Hundred percent. If you have to fucking sprint the whole time, it's not going to work. Like
2: when I first started, I was convinced that I was going to get to market in six months. Right? I yeah. was like, yeah, for sure. Hurry up and wait. Blah. blah, blah. I looked at it, <laughs> and um, I could have come to market in six months. Right? I could have brought mm. a product to market in six months. But but what I realized in the process was that. I was really racing, I was really trying to do a more deliberate outcome than I could even understand at the time. Yeah. It was a difference between having a Mezcal brand and having the Mezcal brand that I have. Sure. right? And I think in the middle is what I really understood. And that's why, you know, I guess why, where, I'm like, you know, about the desired outcome is, like, what I realized in that was, oh, my desired outcome is not necessarily to have a labeled Mezcal on the shelf for sale in America. mm my goal here is to have a premium mezcal brand that is communicating to the consumers and the other clients, business business clients in this way. And that's where I really learned, like, oh, like, there's that's a, diff, that's a whole different concept of what we're trying to go for here, right? I could have put some mezcal in a bottle, slapped a label on it, and boom, you know, right. we would have been on shelves so quickly. And so I, I totally understand what you mean about I had to really slow down and take – I took a whole extra year um longer than i had planned even in the worst situation but i found that to get where we were trying to do and really get the concept that we were trying to get down that yeah we had to do that so that's great advice i think
1: so i kind of actually want to take a little bit of what you guys both said and, and bring it into where my my answer is and thank you for bearing with me on the change of the question because it was inspired actually by thinking about djing and thinking about like that's the thing that I've done the longest in my life. And it's very weird to think that because my entire DJ arc was unintentional. Mm-hmm. So I have to try and figure out like what, like what did I call from that if that's the thing that I've done the longest. And it's when you get out of your own head, if I wanted to play music just for me, I can and I do do that every single day. The playlist that plays in my car is a playlist that is built by me. That is somewhere around eighteen hundred songs now, and there it continues go. to grow. That's just what I listen to. Why it's so small? It, it's all the fuck over the place. It makes no sense. Like if you're sitting in the car with me, it's almost jarring oh, because
2: Spotify makes things to make sense. Of. See,
1: <laughs> I I need I need to have that breadth across the board for me, because my brain is constantly trying to figure out how to make connections. The reason I think that I became a DJ that had a 20-year career was because when you start looking at the crowd, and the crowd can be your customers, the crowd can be your family, the crowd can be your friends, the crowd can just be humans that you interact with every day. When you involve them in executing the thing that you wanna do, and you consider their feelings, and their desires, and their tastes, it takes you out of your own head, so it's not just my palate, my brain, my idea, and it says, okay, it almost makes you, it forces you to think about how would I bring this to people? And in a night, let's say I was doing a four-hour, four-hour set was probably the most common set of my life, and I never, you actually have, have. My my wife has read all of Malcolm Gladwell's novels and it made me think I should actually do the hour calculation because I did the people calculation and I'm somewhere between one point one and one point two million people have seen me play music. That's sick. Which is kind of wild to think about. That's unsan. So what was that relationship? Well, what it is is I wanna give you a little bit of what you're asking for. I wanna give you a little bit of what I know you kinda want. And then I want to give you a little bit of something that I don't think you know you want. And I want to see how that works. Right, right, right. right. And when you start having that pliability, when you start playing with a crowd, on the best nights, that's when you kill it. And it has nothing to do with my technical talent in a DJ booth. It's when I can link up with a group of strangers that I don't know, and we can all get on the same page, and our hands are going up and down at the same time, our heads are nodding at the same time, I, I cheer right along with them. Like When something works, I'm celebrating as much as they are because I love that feeling. Yeah. And what I've realized is that is probably the underlying ethos of everything that I do in my life. How do I give you a little bit of me, try and meet you where you are, sure. and then once we've connected... How do we take it to a third place where this becomes memorable? And that works in business. That works in actual relationships. It works in romantic relationships. Yeah, yeah. It, it works across the board because if you can put yourself a little bit in somebody else's shoes during an interaction and you can figure out how to convey a little bit of you, yeah. but meet them at a little bit of them and then collectively find the next place to go, that's a really beautiful place to be. And it was literally this conversation that made me think of that. And I, Devin, I, I can't thank you enough for randomly dropping that you were a hey, DJ. I appreciate you. Because it got the wheels turning. And I think that's a really, anywhere you go, and this is true for bands, this is true for anybody. Like, if you're performing in any comics, whatever, that works. But in a sense, at work, we're all also performing. Absolutely. When we're out with our friends, there's a little bit of, of a performance. Like there are so many nights I think all three of you can agree with me. on. like, I don't want to get out of fucking bed. God damn it. I said I'd do this. Okay, I'm going to go. And then oh, you yeah. go and you get a little bit of somebody else reaching out. Like where either you're bonding over the fact like, I can't believe we're both here. Or you're feeding off their energy a little bit. Like, hey, I need, I need you to remind me why I'm here. And then you give your, a little bit of yourself back, and all of a sudden now you're both vibing a little bit, and you're having a little bit more fun. And I guarantee you, every interaction, whether it's personal or business or both, every interaction for the rest of that night is going to be better because you had to have that alchemy there.
2: You're totally right, though, because when I first started DJing with myself and doing recorded mixes, you know, I'm playing music for myself. Like you said, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I like all this stuff, right? <laughs> but when I started playing in yeah. front of people that's when I really was like, oh, like, this is such a give and take. Like, this is totally different because I'm dropping a track that I think everybody's going to go crazy over, especially learning to play in Mexico. Again, that was a really huge thing because I had to quickly learn, like, first of all, like, all the hip-hop is not going.
1: Nope.
2: Right? So, like, reggaeton, like, like, they have totally different (laughs) feelings for what we're (laughs) dealing with. You know, in a party in New York, you know, if I'm doing a, a super house set and then I bring in, like, some tribe called, you know, tribe called Quest. They're going crazy, you know, they're going yeah, nuts. In bro. Mexico, I'm pulling that in. They're like, Nah, man, Nah, bro, <laughs> <The> <laughs> fuck, fuck out of yeah. here. Yeah, like, yeah, you know right. what I mean? Like, everybody's like, nah, stop play, swaying, yeah. like, a, legit. Um, and so I think that's so true. Just about having Sorry to learn, to like, okay, what what is the swing that I'm doing, and how can I do yeah. that with the the yeah. music that there that that connects with them? Because ultimately, as a DJ, I really just want them to have a good time. Mm-hmm is What I had to learn sure. was like but, I can't be well, up here in the booth is, just having a good time with Devin and everybody else is having But a if thing. you
1: take that a step farther, isn't that kind of like what you want to do like when you're hosting your friends or whatever? Course. Like yeah. at the end of the day, I just want yeah. you to have a good time. Like I could tell you four things that I'm stressed out about in the news right now that I really want to have a conversation about, and then I'll play you a record of sure. I don't know, like a Polish instrumentalist who I was vinyl I just bought. Like you're not gonna have a good time. You just felt like you got qualmed at. Yeah. Like I, I really like your answer because Okay when you started
0: when you started equating it to Djing, mm-hmm. I was like, duh, of course, you got to play the music that people want to hear, but because it's analogous to other business types, it proves the importance of being analogous or metaphorical or anecdotal because a lot of people who are new to business or are in struggling businesses don't realize that They're failing to give the paying consumer what they want. Oh
2: my gosh, 100%. And I
0: have a three-tiered approach, and we've talked about this, Mom. I have a three-tiered approach with all my clients that have consumer products, is stop giving people the things that they don't want anymore, that they've evidenced to you, they've told you. I don't want this. Stop giving it to them. They don't want it. They don't want to pay for it. It's not for you, it's for them. Give them what they want right now, and try, try to give them what they're going to want next, which is the most difficult of the three to do. Of course. But... We all work in the beverage industries, and the number of people I've encountered, specifically brewers, I'm not working with any brewers right now, so I'm not uh, reticent to say this, yes. that only want to give people what they want to drink on their couch at home, and they're making 80 barrel batches of it. My brother in Christ, who is buying 80 barrels of the ESB? I want it too. Mm-hmm. Hey, bro, I know you like ESP. I also like ESP. Who among the community I'll have one. I'll have one in your tap room, and I'll say, that's a really good beer. So that's, you need to consider yep. the crowd. That's it. They're all on the floor, and they're watching you. The problem is with some businesses, they can't oh, see the understand.
1: reaction. Well, And that's it. They and don't have the crowd sitting. No? They well, can't hear the silence. Right? <laughs> but, you know, but, but you have to factor it in. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's important to you. You I try I try to imagine like who is my audience when I'm coming up with an idea. There are so many things where I'll laugh to myself like that shit's just for me. Like (laughs) the amount of like t-shirt ideas and movie ideas and partially written scripts and fully written scripts that have never gotten made because I had to write that for my brain. I had to write that out. To, I it, do the to Download thing, it downloaded out into reality. So then it's done. Yes, it's yes, out of my brain, yes. and that's Boom good. Homebrewing the shticka alt. Yes, there you go. <laughs> you know, like, that's
2: even like I said. I mean, people ask me all the time, what's my favorite expression? Like, we don't even carry my favorite expression because I, I brought the, the expressions that I believe were going to be the midground telling you what we have going on. I was just talking to a young entrepreneur, super excited about getting in the spirits. So I met him through blah, 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 blah. So we sit down, we start talking. And he's like, yo, I really want to do this XYZ spirit. And I'm like, okay, like, well, why that spirit? And he's like, oh man, I really love it, blah blah. and I, and I was like, all right. So after mm. like one more drink, I you like, love it or believe? I, I was like, it? bro, I was like, no, listen, listen, listen. Let me let me explain something to you real quick. I hear what you're saying about you like this product, mm-hmm. and I believe you. And I don't know what you're talking about, but I, I believe that you like it. But here's the thing: if you're gonna bring this brand out into the world, I would implore you to think about it differently. That we're trying to go out in the marketplace. We're trying to look at where the hole in the market is. Let's say we find a square hole in the marketplace. What we want to do is design a perfect square peg Mm -hmm. for that square hole because that's what the market is desiring. That's what people want. That's what the situation. So our desire, what we're trying to find is where is the middle ground for what we can offer with our design, brain, expertise, and find what people are missing for and marry those two things together. Even for me with Malamia, again, we have four options because I want to provide that for people. Like, you decide. It's not my job to tell you which one is the one that you like. It's your job to figure out if you like them, which one you like if you like them, right? And so I think that's totally a great way to think about it because ultimately, if you're not thinking about the consumers in a consumer goods like <laughs> process,
1: yep. Then what are we you're
2: doing? lost. I mean, I've seen a lot of breweries in this way. They're making a lot of stuff that sounds super cool in the brewery meeting room. I've been there. Our, <laughs> yeah. our brewmaster's amazing, though. She doesn't do this, but I've seen it in other brewmaster yeah. rooms where they're like, we want to make a strawberry milkshake IPA with the extra chili powder. Like, yo, what?
1: Who's this for? Who? Who?
2: Who's asking yeah. for this? And so I think that's a really great insight. Yeah, Yeah. who's paying that. Who's paying for this? Yeah, no yeah, one is sure. the answer.
1: This has been so much fun.
0: Also, I want to note that yours is the only tap room I went to in Atlanta. I don't go to... I don't go to breweries that much anymore, and I didn't know you. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's pretty cool. That yeah, you tell that's where I, I watched the Vikings lose to the Giants in the playoffs. So, well, I that got, I'll, 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 if I come back, I'll be looking at where I was sitting and just start crying. Yeah, yeah. Here's place. the deal. I'll but break I'll just
1: need more beer. I will break the curse <laughs> because I will be there in a little over two months. That's amazing. So I'm going to break the curse, and we're going to get a win, and we'll go from there. <laughs> but uh, aside from all of that. Please, will you let everybody that's listening know where to find you, like how to follow yeah, your journey? Yeah, absolutely.
2: We got a couple of things. So you can follow me personally at Devin T. Adams, D-E-V-I-N-T-A-D-A-M-S on Instagram. You can follow Malami Mescal at M-A-L-A-M-I-A-M-E-Z-C-A-L, so Malami Mescal. We're on Facebook as well, uh, LinkedIn. We have another brand, CLO, so that's coming out soon. Mm. But, um, and yeah, www drinkmalamia.com if you'd like to order uh, a bottle online e-commerce we ship to 41 states oh dope okay. that's awesome about that if you, yeah, yeah we ship to awesome. we ship to states, states. Yep. Uh, the south is a little bit restricted but let me know shoot us a message we can get some to you um yeah so you know we appreciate all the support thank you so much for having us dude um truly a pleasure yeah thanks yeah. For, I mean
0: you you know you flew in today and came on the show yeah absolutely it, it it means a lot it to us volumes. like
1: truly like I we talk about it a lot in the show and I don't want to believe in the point. I just want to remind everybody how important it is. Like you walked in here today and I had no idea who you were, or anything about you. And I literally feel like you're a friend of mine now. And thank you for opening up. Thank you for being a part of this. And it, it really means a lot to us and not to speak for our listeners, but uh, I think they're there because it means a lot to them too. Oh, and shout out to all the listeners.
2: Last thing. Uh, if you're interested in, opening a craft beers brand or beer brand, please holler us. We're in the business of helping you do that. You can check us out at www.warbevco, that's dot com, and we can help you out with that. Amazing.
0: Uh, Charles, anything you want to hit? That'll do it. Uh, maybe very quickly touch upon, um, once again, this beautiful bottle of knob that we um, received from our friends and sponsors well, at
1: Close the nice part is, at the end of the day, I love Knob Creek. Because there's our last shot. We didn't really... Yeah. yeah. We didn't really talk about it. Yeah. We talked about it at the top. Yes. But uh, I love Knob Creek. I I have always loved Knob Creek. It's been a thing that's kind of just become a staple that's in my liquor cabinet at all times. But to get a single barrel pick that's kicking to us at 120 proof, I feel like you get a better essence of both the flavor and the barrel. Mm-hmm. And Shoot. the way that this expresses itself, again, at 120 where we've talked about this myriad times on the show, that anything over about over about ninety five, I would prefer a cube. Yes, uh, sure. I will one hundred percent just sip this neat because it's actually yeah. that very good. Beautiful, neat. very good neat. The 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 brown sugars and that caramel side to it just jump out, but that beautiful like woodsy spice kind of just dries it a little bit. And keeps me coming back for more. And again super flexible too. To have it stand up to that cocktail. I mean he yeah, was in the cocktail and he was in the burger. It was in the burger. It was, <laughs> the burger. It was yeah. Yeah, this I mean, one
2: twenty, I, I mean, I'm very surprised at how right nice that's holding up. Yeah. It's, really it's
1: nice wild.
0: Here. But it's And this it, particular bottle was a, a pick from Nova, Casanova mm-hmm. in Hudson, Wisconsin. If you're somewhere in the area, if you're in western Wisconsin or you're in the Twin Cities in, in Minnesota. Uh, Go get yourself a bottle. If you're not, ask your local liquor store if they have a knob pick. If they don't, just get a bottle of knob, make some cocktails Mm, with it. Drink it up. Great to have on hand. Delicious.
1: The best part about our sponsor, Beam Centauri, is they're literally available worldwide. So look oh, up yeah. their portfolio. They have something beautiful in every possible category. And as we referred to earlier, uh, I am also the National Sales Director of Plift THC Beverages. And because they are federally legal, we can also ship those across state lines. There we go. So Ooh. just go to plift.com and check that out. Uh, I promise you, if you send a nice email, we'll probably send you something for free. So, uh Go ahead and do that, and uh, until then, till the next time, until this time, until whatever time, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Centauri Times.